you didn't exactly pick this movie, although this is a movie you wanted to do, if I recall. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, I mean, we can talk about it sure. when we get into it, but it's one of my favorite movies. Um, I've seen it many times, um, and I've never got the opportunity to discuss it obsessively with anyone, so. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I don't know. I almost, I, I hope I can live up to the the movie's potential here because this is definitely one of my favorite movies, but I hope I don't just sound like an idiot talking about it. Yeah, I hear you. It's, uh, uh, I did a, a class on Christopher Nolan two years ago now, and I saved this one for last, and I still feel like I failed <laughs> even then because there's so much. I mean, this I honestly think this might be his masterpiece. Yeah, that's yeah. in my opening statement somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Dark Knight's great, but I think this might be the masterpiece. Yeah, All right, yeah but... I mean, I think I saw on Twitter that, Marco, you've seen Tenet. Right. I think we both have now. I, right? I have now, yeah. Okay. I, just I, it I, I saw I saw Tenet and then pretty much immediately rewatched this movie and just seeing those two back to back. That was interesting. <laughs> I'm so glad because I feel like maybe we can do like a spoilery Tenet talk at the end. Oh yeah, that'd be great because I haven't again haven't really talked to anyone. I don't know. <laughs> are you are you really concerned about spoiling Tenet for someone? Like the movie's I mean, I almost yeah, feel like so it where, would help to be spoiled for that movie. My roommate saw the movie first and he came back and I told him like, you know, don't tell me anything, like no spoilers. And he was like, if you, he, he was like gun to my head. If you told me to spoil the movie, I don't think I could. Right. I, I am glad with how little I knew about it going in. And I felt like I walked in with a lot of expectations or, you know, walked into my couch where I watched it. And, um, at first, I was like, I'm being let down. And then halfway through the movie, I was like, okay, I'm fucking loving this. <laughs> yeah, I watched it with someone who had already seen it once. And he said seeing it the second time was much different than seeing it the first time. I had no idea what was going on. Um, when you watch it backwards, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, we can maybe talk about that at the end later. All right. Well, why don't we uh, get to the, uh, the main part of the pod here? You guys are ready? Yeah. Hello and welcome to Headcanon. I'm James. And I'm Marco Sparks. Hi. And we are joined by a special guest today. It is Allie. How are you doing, Allie? Hello. Thanks for having me. Excited Absolutely. Allie uh, was one of our readers for uh, Trollballs Finds Me. A huge, huge help. Uh, so we wanted to have her come on to talk about a movie that we all love, uh, which would be clear, which is The Prestige. Uh, before we get to that, though, we usually talk a little bit about what we're kind of watching, listening to, reading, that sort of stuff. So, uh, Allie, what are you watching these days? Uh, so I finally caught up and finished Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is one of my favorite shows. But I kind of left off. Uh, I was trying to finish grad school and I kind of left off middle watching that. And I finally just took me a week to binge the last two seasons I was missing. Um, Is it worth it? Cause I left off at like at the end of season five, I think. I love that show so much. <laughs> I think I've seen seasons one and two, like 10 times over. It's just a show that I put on in the background. What about um, Sousa? Do you like Sousa on that show? I do. I, I don't want to spoil anything, but <laughs> uh, I really liked him. I mean, I, lo- I loved him on agent Carter and when he showed up, I was very happy. Um, but now that I finished that, my roommate and I have actually started watching The Crown. Mm. Um, nice, stuffy British show. 
Mm. Uh, but it's, I think, because everyone's talking about the new season and Princess Diana and all that kind of stuff. And we were kind of intrigued, but we figured we should go back from the start and watch from season one and go through that. So it's a it's much slower show. We're not binging it or anything, but yeah, that's what I'm watching currently. Right on. Nice. Marco, how about you? Uh, we didn't talk about it last time. You know, obviously I watched the folklore documentary, which I enjoyed. Oh, yeah. Um, since last time we recorded, I finally finished uh, what I'm still going to call in protest, the undone inning, and then Tenet. Um, so that's all I've really been wa- able to watch in the last week or so. James? Um, so The Mandalorian, obviously. Um, mm. I don't know. Do we want to talk about that or did Can. you watch it yet? I did. Okay. It's fine. I don't know. I don't yeah, really care I about both. Seen it. Would you <laughs> recommend it? The, the 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 whole show, you mean? Yeah. Um, I guess it depends on how big of a Star Wars fan you are. Um, I don't know. If you just like the vibe of Star Wars and kind of like want to play with those action figures, it's probably enjoyable. If you're just looking for like, I don't know, something kind of meaty or intellectual that you can sink your teeth into, you probably look elsewhere. Yeah. It's, it's basically, yeah. it's like a live action cartoon, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's Baby Yoda, so there's, you know, <laughs> Baby Yoda memes at least. Um, been keeping up on his dark materials, even though I think the season's like over half over now. It's fine, I guess. I don't know. Um, I don't really have much to say about it other than that. I, I wish it was better. Uh, also, I started watching The Expanse for some reason. I'm not really sure why, but I'm a season into that on Amazon Prime. It's also You're enjoying okay. it. I'm enjoying it somewhat. I feel like the the main dude that James Holden like. I, I want a little more from that actor, I guess. Am I mistaken? Did they not imply that he's part of some kind of like sex? Like he was raised like a sex collective or something? I don't know if it's a sex collective, but it's like he has like eight mothers. Like they all merged their DNA together and then one mother gave birth I think or we, something. Yeah. I think we know how they merged them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I, I, that, that show is kind of, I've, I've heard it described as like Game of Thrones, but in space. I wouldn't go quite that far, but it's fine. I left off and started season three of that show and I haven't gone back and I feel like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it, but I, I don't know. Once you, once you step away every, from it, a little every too long, so often I'm like, Hey, I have Amazon prime. Why don't I watch something that's on that? And you know, we'll see how long I last with this. What, what infuriates me about the show is that they saved it only because Jeff Bezos really liked the show. I mean, congratulations almost- to the, the people who make the show, I guess, you know, it's almost a weird humanizing detail about him that he's just like, turns out I'm the richest man alive. I can mm-hmm. save my favorite show. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I also watched Tenet as well recently. We can talk about that later. Um, all right, Allie, what do you listen to? Um, yeah, everyone's doing their Spotify rap <laughs> right now, right? I don't listen to music on Spotify. Uh, but if uh, I had a Spotify rap, it would just all be folklore. Um, I think like the last three guests you've had on have all said <laughs> folklore. Um, but I know it's kind of the perfect album for these days. And say I've been listening just to songs I like from that album nonstop. Yeah, same. It's a boring answer, but I, I don't know. I, every week I go to iTunes and look like what's new out. And it's like, yeah, I don't really want to listen to it. So I just keep listening to folklore. Pretty much, yeah. I started listening to, I started forcing myself to listen to some records that I had this week. So I listened to Rumors one night because um, I like Fleetwood Mac. My parents oh, were that like there's age. A, there's a new live album of the Postal Service out. That's mm, interesting. So I, 
I grew up, um, if I may continue, uh, mm-hmm. Fleetwood Mac. So I listened to that. I got my folklore vinyl today. So I'm listening to that. And then I've been listening to the new Def Cab for Cutie EP. Is there a new EP? Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm behind. Let's check mm-hmm. that out. It's not on iTunes and you want to get it today because it's going to be gone at midnight. Really? Is it, what, what is it like just sold on their website or something? It's on Bandcamp. It's for like oh, a fair fight. Sure, sure. Okay. Well, I'll get on that and make a note. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you guys reading? So I just finished, uh, I guess, was it rereading if I it was a beta reader for the first draft? Is oh. it rereading when I read the final draft? Well, this is the final draft. So yeah, it's like, I'm yeah. sure you notice when stuff is different. Oh yeah, it, it was actually pretty, because it's been why I think I read the beta draft back in July or something like that. Um, so it was fun just kind of going through and reading. I was like, was that something that I forgot or is that actually something new? Um, yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, I was going to post up, post it up the book again, uh, and realize I didn't have any post-its at my house anymore. Oh no! So I'll have to do that at some point and post that on Twitter again. Um, and currently I'm reading, uh, Steel Tide, which is a second book in some YA girl pirate trilogy. I know, very light mm. YA reading, but I haven't really been able to focus on much else these days. Reading's kind of been hard, um, in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, yeah. We should say, if you don't mind me pointing out, um, we kind of uh, you came across our radar because you posted a tweet of a picture of the first Trouble novel with what must be dozens of post-its on all the pages. My bookshelf's right here. Yeah, and it was amazing and and a little bit terrifying. Uh, Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Just easily thirty, right? At least, yeah, at least thirty post-its. Um, just to know that, uh, somebody's <laughs> paying that close attention. So, you know, we'd better deliver. Amazing and terrifying is <laughs> usually how people describe me. So, um, glad that it was a good thing in this case. So somebody finally understood when Jenny was asked the question and she said, secrets are my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, Marco, what are you reading? Uh, last weekend I read, uh, the other misses by Mary Kubica cause I wanted something kind of fluffy and then now i'm working my through my way through leave the world behind by ruman alam james uh so i just finished reading a book called harrow the ninth which was a secret uh, a sequel to gideon the ninth which is uh i guess could just be described as like i guess it's ya i don't know it's like it's like lesbian necromancers in space um it's pretty weird this book was especially really weird i'm kind of impressed with uh how weird and oblique and inscrutable the writer is able to get away with and what seems to be a pretty major publication. Um, I don't know. Props to committing to a bit. It's like, you can tell that something's off about the, uh, the, uh, the narration, you know, or the, the storytelling, there's an unreliable narrator happening and they really go for it for like 400 pages. So hmm. interesting. Um, and then, yeah, I, I don't know. I almost feel bad to even admit this, but I read a uh, ready player two, um, which, uh, is fascinating in a way because the main character is such a monster, especially at the beginning of the book. But like, I don't know if the author is intending it or not. Uh, but ultimately it just got like the, the first few chapters are kind of breathtaking and like what a selfish asshole the, the lead character is. But then it, it kind of just gets really tedious after a while. Like there's these like chapter upon chapter of like, Oh, we have to go to the John Hughes planet to get a thing. And like, <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm just going to spout like just pages and pages and pages of trivia to you, but it's not like, 
it's not like a story even. You're just, it's like somebody's just running around the John Hughes planet being like, hey, look, it's so-and-so from this movie. And then they do the same thing on a Prince planet. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's like, okay, congratulations. You know a lot about Prince, I guess. Like, it's just, it wasn't even as engaging as the first book. Like, at least the first book has, like, parts of it that are, I don't know, like, structured well. It's like, oh, here's, you know, this is kind of exciting. He's found the first key and you know like that kind of stuff like this was it just felt really tedious can you imagine if in trouble too <clears throat> she's just like granted okay she hasn't solved the scavenger hunt per se but like mm-hmm. it's just like oh there's another scavenger hunt yeah oh, and <laughs> I, I, you want it all that is part of the reason why i wanted to read it was because there are some similarities at least between trouble and ready player one very different I planet say, prince but, yeah um yeah, Planet Prince, definitely. So I was just kind of curious to see, like, what does winning look like in, in this story? And he definitely, the writer definitely establishes the lead character as just, like, just, like, the the worst of, like, Bezos and, like, the dude who runs Twitter and, like, all, you know, it's, like, just, like, the worst, like, tech multi-billionaire. But I don't think, I, I, I kept waiting, like, man, is this just brilliant satire here? I don't think that was his intention. Like, I really don't. Hmm. I just got a notification from my local library that I got off the wait list for that book and it's ready for me. So, uh, I, look at you. Lucky you. Right? I mean, I don't want to give anything I'll away. Walk, not but, run to the yeah. library for it. I don't want to give anything away. There are parts of it where it's like, ooh, this could be interesting. I wish they'd leaned in a little more to those, I guess I would say. I saw an interview of him where he's just like, I read all the criticism people had about the first book. You can I'm, tell. I'm, I'm he, it into he's the- definitely making an effort. Um, I just some of his story decisions just I don't know weren't interesting to me. What about Olivia Cook? Is she or her character? Olivia Cook. Yeah, just um, Olivia Cook. The, the, the character. Olivia Cook. The character is in it. I don't want to give away any more than that. Okay, she's not player two. Uh, I, I don't want to say. Okay. Yeah. I remember the first book being, you know, for all his faults, being very well paced. Like I read that book yeah. maybe two or three days because I just, it was a page turner. That, 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 that was what stuck out. Like that? that was what stuck out about this one is that like at a certain point about halfway through, it was like, man, this just isn't moving the same way the previous book did. You know, like like the, the hunting down clues. I'm not sure what it is exactly, but it didn't feel as like propulsive as the previous one, at least like in the second half. All right. Well, that was our media diet. Let's get to the main course here. We're going to be talking about The Prestige, Christopher Nolan movie from 2006. Um, spoiler alert up front. If you have not seen The Prestige, you uh, you should go watch it and then get back to us. We're going to be discussing kind of a, a major twist of the movie throughout the whole podcast. So can't really give you any more of a warning than that. In a, in a two twist movie, I would argue. Ish. Ish. It's yeah. on Hulu. It's on Hulu, folks. Oh, is it? Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, opening statements. Who wants to go first? Ali, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, so I actually saw this movie in theaters when I was in high school. I was 16. Nice. Nice. Um, I actually hadn't seen many movies before that in general, just because I was a pretty sheltered kid, didn't really watch that much TV. And um, my high school boyfriend at the time took me to go see the movie. And I remember sitting in his car in the parking lot afterwards, just freaking out. I was just sitting there thinking like, oh, like 
you know, if your consciousness is you have a double, like, where's the, con-? and I was just like, sh- literally having a freak out. Cause, um, and then I think a couple months later, he took me to go see Dark Knight. And <laughs> from my like 16 year old perspective, I was like, oh my God, movies are amazing. And I assumed they were all this good. <laughs> um, I have since seen many, many movies and can confirm not all movies are this, this good. Like the prestige really stands up. It's one of my favorite movies is why I wanted to discuss with you guys. Um, I know we've mentioned Tenet a few times already, but I recently watched Tenet. And then after that, I immediately uh, rewatched The Prestige. Um, it really made me appreciate The Prestige more and kind of retroactively wish some aspects of Tenet could have been better. Because, um, mm-hmm. you know, same director, like, you know, clearly after seeing The Prestige, it's like, well, you could you could obviously have done this better because you did it, you know, for The Prestige. Um, not to spoil anything about Tenet or give anything away um but yeah i as a movie the prestige i think there's a tight plot really great pacing a really satisfying ending um it's a movie that every time i watch it i notice something new and i'm sure i'm gonna talk about a lot of those points as we comment on the scenes but yeah really happy to dive in deep into this movie and kind of obsess over it (laughs) because i haven't really been able to do that with other people before excellent excellent uh, I guess I'll go next. Um, yeah. So the first line of my opening statement is just, I hope I don't fuck this up because this could either be like a four hour podcast or it could be a two hour podcast that I just sit up at night and just think about all the things we could have talked about. Also, my opening statement could just be reciting every line of Michael Caine's monologue about the three <laughs> acts of any magic trick. Um, I think it's a common com- or a common if it's criticism or just note, but like like all Christopher Nolan movies, this is essentially about the making of a movie or telling a story or dazzling an audience. Um, also, to obliquely reference Tenet in my opening statement, what fascinates me about most about Tenet, no spoilers, is the way the end of that movie influences the beginning, and the beginning influences the end, and you really feel that I think here as well. He's constantly operating in the space where he's navigating space over time and like fucking up our perception of both. Um, I know it's like a, a typical fanboy thing to nerd out over Christopher Nolan, but I will do that. I mean, he has his flaws and faults, but like, who are my options otherwise as far as massive directors? Um, you know, like I, I grew up with people obsessing over Quentin Tarantino and it always seemed ugly to me. I'm so glad that there's a guy who looks at the world very strangely and weirdly like I do. Um, this movie might be perfect even with its flaws if it has any, um, it's the definition of metasomatic. Uh, it's a perfect, fantastic rendition of Mozart versus Salieri, but with magic and like magical prank wars. Uh, cleans up the details of the Christopher Priest novel it's based on. Uh, I love this movie for telling you its secret so many times and also dangling that there's a secret right in front of you. It has like maybe two and a half unreliable narrators. I love an unreliable narrator. Um, I love that that seven or eight times in this movie Nolan does this thing where he's very comfortable where he's in like three different timelines at once and they're all like feeding off of each other and informing each other like Russian nesting dolls of memories um yeah and like a lot of Nolan movies even for the viewer and the characters you walk into this thing and you walk out of it something different um it's about putting up an act and when to drop the act and when you're depending on when you're looking at it it's almost the same thing and I love it James all right. Well, as should be obvious, this is one of my favorite movies. Um, definitely my favorite of the Christopher Nolan movies. Uh, I think much like its protagonist, Alfred Borden, it may come off a bit cold and aloof, but I think that's sort of necessary to conceal the magic trick. 
Uh, but I do think the drama is there and kind of these minor keys and movements. And once you know the solution to the trick, rewatching the movie can be very rewarding to kind of catch all those little moments that hint at the conflict within Borden there. Uh, I think Christian Bale is just doing really like amazing, subtle work throughout. Hugh Jackman definitely shows something different as a protagonist who essentially becomes a villain because of his obsession. Um, in a lot of ways, this is like the ultimate Nolan movie. Like you talked about, it's got this twisty narrative with flashbacks embedded within flashbacks, but I think it's still pretty easy to follow. I think at, at this point, Nolan wasn't so into like his formal experimentation yet that uh, he could ignore the human side of the movie. And I think you need that side in order for the magic trick to work. Um, anyways, I, I could watch this movie a thousand times. I'm always picking new stuff up from it. Um, the way it looks in a shot and a, kind of the period of the emerging technology at the turn of the uh, 20th century there is really cool. David Bowie, so convincing as like a wizard in the guise of a scientist or inventor. Um, yeah, I love this movie. <laughs> Yeah, cool. All right. Well, uh, top moments. I don't know how many you guys have. I have 10. Yeah, I kept it to 10 this time. <laughs> All right. I have six, okay. but uh, I could probably easily add another four, but I'll listen to your. <laughs> All right. Mark, are you go first? Um, this one, I don't, and, and I gotta say, some of these are arbitrary, like where they're placed, because there's so many great yeah, scenes. Yeah. But I'm going to go the first shot of the movie, the mm-hmm. hats. They are literally the prestige of the prestige, but um, just mixed with, you know, are you watching closely? And then Michael Caine's narration right there. Nice. There are three parts in the magic trick. (laughs) Yeah. My number 10 is um, the big fight that Borden has with Sarah, you know, where he's just like, you think I like living like this, you know? And, And she finally asks him, do you love me? And he, he's honest for once. He says, not today. No. And then she goes and hangs herself. She ad-libbed the I know what you are. I know what you are. Yeah. Yeah. I read that. And uh, was apparently in tears when he came to like, no one came to praise her. And she's like, I just ruined your movie. Did like, they, like I guess fine. the other crew didn't know or something like that. Or? I, I, I think she just thought in general, like, hmm. unless you cut that line out, they're going to know a hmm. half an hour before. Yeah. I think the the secret hmm. to a good twist is almost being able to point it out and have the audience like not, not willing to like, is that, is this really happening? You know, like they're, they're always looking for something else. Well, and, and just to redo my opening statement, the, the last movie that I felt like gave me that kind of sense that I was like in the theater, I know there's something happening here. And I'm searching for it. Not like a mystery per se was probably a rival hmm. where I just felt like I was on the verge of a twist or something special that was just building itself around me like a prison of plot. Right. Um, my number nine is, the when the professor sabotages the great Danton's new transported man trick and takes his exit, it's like the first time Borden really enjoys himself on stage, and he's just yes. like, "Go easy on the poor chap. He does try so very hard." It's calling him a tryhard back in 1900. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that moment's great because, um, it, yeah, like you said, it's like he, he's finally like leaning into the showmanship, which he normally yeah. didn't do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, where are we at? My number nine. Uh, the scene when Borden is seducing, is it uh, Gerald Root, I think is the guy's name? The uh, the double that they find, the actor. about Just pointed out how, how dangerous it is for a double to have power over the magician, you know. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, spoiler, Jerry Root is rooted very, is rated very high in my top rankings. <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy. Because <laughs> um, honestly, he could just take over Lord Codlow's whole, Codlow's whole thing at the end. Yeah. He's got the shit. Um, 
My number eight is this could be higher. It should be higher. Uh, it's the magic show with Rebecca Hall and her nephew. And Christian Bale is the assistant to some dude who like smashes the bird and the kid starts crying. And it's just like, what about his brother? And it's like, Christian Bale just plays it. So like, he's really reflecting upon this, you know, just, oh, what a sharp lad. And then of course it pivots right into the, uh, oh, your son's very sharp. And she's like, my nephew. And he's like, your nephew, you say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My number eight, I think is um, not far from that moment. It's when he does a little magic trick for the, the nephew with the coin. Uh, with the two-sided coin he says never show anyone they'll beg you and they'll flatter you for the the secret but as soon as you give it to them you'll be nothing to them the secret impresses no one the trick is uh the trick you use it for is everything it's a lot to put on a kid Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's i mean that's that's so clearly his philosophy his and his brothers you know like they're so committed and they have to be like the only way that their trick works is that they have like such discipline to it I can't believe the Borden boys don't fucking hate each other <laughs> after all this stuff. Oh, I have lots to say about that later. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I thought about one point, like, I'll just do my notes and we'll just try to track who's who. I no. have that. Yeah. I think you can, you? Okay. You can yeah, usually like tell. I think. It this time, I was, I was trying to figure out who was who in each scene. Yeah. Good. In the book, it's Albert and Frederick yes. who become Alfred. So I was like, I wonder who's who. But anyway. I only had that a few I, times. I have some theories, but we can, yeah, we can okay. talk about that. Um, my number seven is when um, Borden finds out that he's going to be a dad and he shows Sarah the bullet catch trick. It's kind of the, the first half of the one you mentioned, James. And he tells her he loves her. And she's just like, not today. Some days you mean it, not today. Maybe today you're more in love with magic. And it has more value the days that he does mean it. And yes, the movie is like absolutely hiding its twist in this character moment in a kind of a brilliant way. But I kind of like also look on his face where he's just like, well, that was a freebie. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I wore my way out of that one pretty easily. (laughs) And what's sad is that 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 shifts over time where later on it it no longer gives her kind of any pleasure or solace to know that sometimes he loves her. It's like making her crazy instead. I I think that happens in relationships where the things you like about the person are the things that will drive you crazy later. (laughs) uh let's see number seven here uh from that same scene actually uh just a specific moment i really liked was when um i think it's from that scene when the, they find out that she's pregnant borden does and the, one of the first things he says is like oh we should have told fallon you know like because <laughs> i i think that is what tells us uh, in, in addition the to the, the not loving her you know today thing is that this is uh frederick and not uh, albert yeah or just who else is he going to share this with? You know, like, like that's the more intimate life partner that he has. Mm-hmm. What's your six, Allie? Uh, my six is the intro to Tesla and his little, I don't, I don't know, sound stage is the wrong word, but he just like walks through the field of electricity and just appears this stage. shallow, this shadow and just comes out. Um, David Bowie as Tesla is amazing, is amazing in this movie. And that was just, you know, like I said, he's the wizard of this movie and him, that intro was just really fun to see. Mm-hmm. Um, my number six is when the the two you know soon to be rival magicians go to watch Chung Ling Su, um, like watching especially when they're watching him get the help from his assistants to get in the cab in the performance, and Bale's the one who's just like, "This is the act," and the way he just like does the it's the only way to like get you know out of you know knocks on the wall all of this, but I just love watching these two guys just like nerd out. Well, and it's, magician. it's funny because that's like as close as Borden can come to talking about his own secret. Yeah. You know, yeah. by pointing out what somebody else is doing and kind of like, 
he really wants to give a ton of credit to it because he knows how hard it is. And meanwhile, the greatest showman next to him is just like, nah. <laughs> nah. Uh, let's see. My number six is uh, at the end. I think this is when uh, Cutter has finally met Lord Cordlow uh, and learned his, his true identity there. And he says, you know, do you remember that story I told you about the, the sailor? You know, I was lying. He said it was agony. <laughs> Um, just, I don't know. I like that. There's like a very cutting line from, from Cutter there about, uh, kind of the, 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 the lies he was telling to make, uh, Andrea feel better when it turns out he didn't need to. Hmm. What's your five Valley? Number five. I think the rest of my moments are less scenes and moments and more set pieces. Um, <laughs> but number five is just the idea of when Alfred, uh, no, I think it's, Angier, he just calls the trick the new transporter man. <laughs> and then later, he, uh, Alfred steals back the trick and just just calls it the original transporter man. Just the level of pettiness uh, just with naming the trick. I thought that was hilarious. I did some research into the actual transported man tricks. They're always twins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw a thing. I think it was with Pendulette where he's just like, clearly they're twins. That's the only way you do that trick. And like, that's not a, it's not a good trick because it's too there's like no wow to it like it's it's like too impossible that it can only be one solution basically well and i th- i think it's not on my moment but uh, i love when uh, um michael kane is just like it's it's he's not doing a good job of the trick yeah. you need to dress it up you need to build it up you need to give the audience more time he's like i love that there's that aspect of fooling people mm-hmm. um my number five is in Colorado Springs when Hugh Jackman and Annie Circus go to like the field in the middle yes. of the night and you see the town lit up in the distance. And he's like talking about how, you know, we just, we require a great deal of current. So we, we electrify the town in exchange for being able to use a generator whenever we want, blah, blah, blah. Um, and just, it's so mysterious. We haven't met Tesla yet. We only do our experiments at night when the town's asleep because we don't want anyone watching us. And then he just sets the bulb down and then Jackman's just like, where are the wires? And he's just like, exactly. <laughs> And it really does feel like magic, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my number five, uh, as Ali already mentioned this one, and when Angel meets Tesla, the way he walks out of the sparks like that, it's almost like he appears in the sparks. Um, and just the performance of David Bowie, the way he has that slightly otherworldly quality to him. Um, and then he, when he uh, shakes hands and then he like has Ali uh, come over and hand him a, a light bulb to hold and it like lights up. You know, it's like, what's conducting it? You are like, it's just so cool. Mm-hmm. All right, Ellie, what's your number four? Number four. Um, I just have the introductory scenes, you know, the explanation of the pledge to turn to prestige over like overlay kind of the final transported man trick. Just you have the setup right there and it just immediately draws you in. We're at like four different timelines that's the one time where I feel like all the timelines don't totally feed each other like elsewhere in the movie, but it's fascinating. Just it works. Um, my number four is a little bit of what you both have mentioned. It's, it's just God tier casting of David Bowie is, is Nicola Testa. The person, like, I guess all the actors pretty much came, the main actors came to Nolan. Uh, this was the one where he had to go to Bowie who turned it down and he had to say, I don't have a movie if I don't have you. Um, he flew out to just persuade yeah. him to be in the movie, right? Yeah. But uh, um, just, he has so many great lines. Just, nothing is impossible, Angier. What you want is simply expensive. <laughs> I love that they, 
they don't make him wear contacts. Like his Anisakoria is just like on full display in this. Um, and then when he's later, he's just like, so you're going to present this as this machine as an illusion? And Andrew's like, if people actually believe the things I did on stage were real, they wouldn't clap, they'd scream. I mean, just think about song a woman in half. <laughs> yeah, I love the story about Nolan flying out to meet David Bowie. And he's just like, I need somebody who is believable as having invented this technology. You know, I, I need a wizard. I need you, basically. Uh, we're at number three. Um, the uh, Speaking of Tesla. Four. Wait, Four. Oh, we at four? Oh, sorry. That was my four. That's right, four. Um, so the the new transported man, just that performance there, um, kind of you see it in full effect. I think we still haven't seen the original in like the full demonstration of it at this point because they like cut away from that. But seeing him throw the hat and then his, uh, his double catching it and then uh, Angie are taking his bow below uh, the stage there. Um, it's all really excellent. I listened to a podcast where they had a great point where that's basically the director. Mm, yeah you know, the if the audience applauds they're not really applauding for you because they don't even know what you did yeah all right now we're on three all right number three um is borden you know, the thing you guys mentioned this the scene of him manipulating root and you know convincing him that he has all the power as a double and then following that um him hijacking the trick to advertise his own trick across the street mm-hmm. always love that scene i mean this is a dramatic movie but there are some pretty comedic moments throughout it mm-hmm. definitely uh my number three honestly my top three like could be interchangeable because my number three could easily be my number one it's two moments it's when each man finishes reading the other's journal only to discover that the journal was partly faked and addressing them directly and like i remember thinking watching children of men there's a part where in the car chase the guy just or clive owen just like opens a door and like knocks a guy off a motorcycle and then, like, later in the movie, like, 20 minutes later, he does the same thing again, and it works. The same thing here. I was like, holy shit, that was amazing. And then, like, half an hour alone, like, oh, my God, he did it again. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I just ran out of room because I that definitely would have included one of those moments there. Because, yeah, it's so great. Uh, my number three is when Angier's gone to do the test with Tesla again with the cat, and it seemingly doesn't work, and he's kind of mad, and he walks away. And then he sees that there's like two cats fighting with each other and all the dozens of hats and just that that kind of whole reveal of what's going on. Um, and then later when Tesla's like, oh, don't forget your hat. And he says, which one is mine? And he says, they're all yours. Andy Circus is, is shockingly good because I was kind of frustrated with Gollum. But like just his like, I'm holding you responsible for this cat. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my number two is uh, exactly your number three, Marco, where just, you know, calling each other out in the diary. Um, I don't remember the exact lines that they say, but they're amazing. So I think it's first Borden addressing Andrew directly via the diary and then mm-hmm. Andrew doing back to him when he's in jail. That, I mean, yeah, it's just such a the idea that they would do that to each other. And it's just so fun to see. It's so petty. Too. <laughs> it's so petty. <laughs> Which. My top two moments are equal parts of the pettiness. Uh, my number two is when Lord Colo visits uh, Borden in jail and he realizes it was Angier's the whole, fucking with him the whole fucking time, framing him for his own murder, stealing his child, etc. And then, like, I love Borden tries to give him the secret. He's like, I wrote it down. Here you go. And then D. Jackin just, like, kind of, like, tears it up and throws it away. And he says, you are always the better magician, but I think we can agree that my trick was better. <laughs> um, it's got... 
because uh Hugh Jackman is so hammy he's got like his Hugh Jackman hammy version of some real Tommy Lee Jones I don't care energy from the fugitive I love it uh let's see number two uh, I think you already mentioned this one Marco but uh when Borden's talking to the nephew and he, he shows him the bird and the nephew says but where's his brother um the look on Christian Bale's face there like it's and you might not notice it on the first watch but on rewatch it's like so apparent like how much that's hit him as he's kind of like reflecting on on his own life there and he has this kind of like smile um it's just like a great moment there but I mean spoilers abound I just saw that like it feeds into the Hugh Jackman twist because later on he says to the bird you were the lucky one today which then feeds right back into the Albert and Frederick twist because one of them is the lucky one at the end Mm -hmm. holy fuck yeah all right also I was just gonna say I was joking with James before this started that there was a moment that I was positive he was gonna have in this movie and I was gonna message you Ali and just be like this moment James's top moments within the top five we haven't gotten it. Haven't gotten it. I don't know if we will. I don't know. Okay. Right. okay. I hate to disappoint you. Well, my number one is. I mean, this is kind of a cop out, but it's the entire ending, <laughs> right? It's the scene of one of the twins getting hanged, and then overlay that with Andrea going to his warehouse of dead drone <laughs> corpses, and you know Cutter talking to him, and you know that line that you mentioned about like it was agony, and then you get the bouncing red ball and the gunshot and the reveal. And I, that was the moment in the theater that like, cause I mean, the first time, I, I don't know if you guys remember the first time you watched this movie, did you see the twin twist coming? Because I didn't. And no. I, my, my, my little 16 year old mind was like absolutely blown. Um, I think I was so focused on like the Tesla side of things and what was going on there that, yeah, I totally did not see the twin coming at all. So, the reason I especially resonate with that Rebecca Hall ad lib is that was what threw me. The way she said, I know what you are. I kept thinking like, oh my God, whatever he actually is, is more horrific <laughs> than I can imagine. I mean, for a half a second, I was like, is it time travel? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the ending is my number one. Just when, when the man who was Fallon visits Lord Cordlow and both of their tricks and twists are laid out completely for the audience. And again, like Hugh Jackman's just like, well, don't you want to know how I did it? And now this time Borden gets to be like, yeah, I don't care. Um, and then they're ruminating on like sacrifice and what it costs. And I just love like, like when Hugh Jackman's just like sacrifice, <laughs> you want to talk about sacrifice? Fucking look around. <laughs> Another kind of moment within that ending, I think, is just when like Hugh Jackman is so desperate, like who, like who was the one who came off the other end, like who got the applause, and then the twin just kind of shrugged and goes, eh, "We took turns." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like so jealous, like, oh. <laughs> yeah, not to be boring, but that's also my uh, number one. Just you know, the prestige of the prestige, the the reveals. I especially love all the stuff where we see how Alfred, Albert, and Freddie have been uh, doing it right? like when they're one has to cut off the fingers because the other one got the finger <laughs> yes, shut off. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Seeing them do their, their makeup together and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Uh, quite obviously uh, that kind of stuff intrigues me uh, how, how somebody would do something like that. Um, so yeah. And, and just all the, the reveals coming at once and Angie or like you said, Ali, just right up to the end, like he just doesn't get it. Like, you know, like wow, you guys just traded, you know, like <laughs> it's like he's he's just so consumed with his like need to 
to show other people up. I feel vindicated that the fingers made it into your number one. Yes. <laughs> um, but I, I just love it. The last shot of the movie is just Angier's like wide open eyes. Because it's like, well, that's like me looking in a mirror at all those twists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's plenty to, to talk about in the movie itself here. Yeah. As you mentioned, the, the hats at the beginning, just right in plain sight. I love it. And it's just like the, your first time watching the movie, you're never going to think about what that means and, until later. Right. So rewinding a little bit. The story I read was that Sam Mendes wanted this to be his follow-up to American Beauty. He goes and finds Christopher Priest to go like pitch, like, let me buy the rights to this book. And the author basically says to him, hey, you know whose films I really like? Is that guy Christopher Nolan. Do you guys know him? <laughs> Have either of you read The Prestige, the book? I had not. I, I, I read about curious. half of it. It's, it's, I heard it's different. It's very different. There's a whole modern day framing story with because it's all diaries um with like their great grandkids and the actual method of the um machine is different it like kills immediately the original and creates a double and then at one point something goes wrong with borden the final thing and it like creates like a ghostly version of angier and the original doesn't die but he's like left weak it's very odd is Tesla still yeah. in it? Yeah. yeah. From what I've read of what people have said about the book, it, this does sound like one of those cases where the movie might be better. Than yeah. The book. Like clearer in a way, if, if you can believe it mm. <laughs> with this movie. <laughs> I mean, cause I think uh, yeah. the book, the book dives a little bit more into like the Tesla versus Edison, like sub, mm. you know, rivalry. Yeah. So like I said before, I, watch the movie trying to track which twin is which and the way that i i guess i tell them apart is you have the twin that loved olivia right and you have the twin who loved sarah and for my just watching seeing this movie a million times the twin who loved sarah is i guess the more reserved twin and i think Mm -hmm. the twin who loved olivia is the more brash one Right. Yeah. I mean, we're clearly spoiling this movie by now, but I think it's it's the twin who loves Sarah who ends up surviving in the end, right? Because it's the twin, the more brash twin well, that goes and tries to. Yeah, he says because the it, father who survives at the end. Because mm-hmm. right? yeah. it can't be it can't be the one who loved Olivia who survives. Yeah, because he he says he says in the end like I loved Sarah, he loved Olivia. Right. Like, yeah, he says that, but mm-hmm. it, like you can tell like they have distinct personalities right the one that ends up being caught and hung is he gets caught because he can't leave the trick alone and he has to go see yeah. how he injured it. And, and so that was that was helpful in trying to figure out which twin was which throughout it, watching all these scenes it's very subtle but christian bale is definitely playing them a little bit differently like you yeah. you it's hard to even describe but there is that kind of brash quality you know like a little bit more um reckless i guess you'd say but but just a tad like it's it's very subtle in the performance mm-hmm. but yeah the 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 alfred or is it, no i'm sorry albert is more reserved for sure yeah than okay. uh, yeah, freddie is the one who loves olivians more mm-hmm. brash that's how i was telling them apart in my notes at least mm-hmm. i don't know if that was hard, this is but. jumping way ahead but let me dive into the two scenes later on in the movie before i forget when he goes to see olivia at her apartment and she's just like, Fallon creeps me out. I just see him watching me all the time. <laughs> and then he says something like, well, do you, do you trust me? Then you should trust Fallon. I'm assuming that that's the one who loves Olivia because he's going to her apartment. And he's probably the one who, as Fallon, is constantly watching her, right? Or something like that. 
But then at the dinner where he shows up and he's the first time he says, secrets are my life. And he's like, I thought I lost something. I thought I almost lost something very precious to me today. Which is That's which one of them? Which That's one of Freddy. them was buried alive? Because I assumed that that was him. Freddie was buried alive because he comes in and goes, "I have a new trick, like you know, being buried alive." Okay, and, yeah. Because I assumed that he's like he got hammered because he was buried alive. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like the way I think he says, as Fallon, the reason why they got him in the first place is because like he saw. Well, I forget. He was like following Angie, yeah. and they were able to trap him because he like went out of his way to try to. I don't think Albert would have brought Olivia to dinner like that either. Mm, mm. The the Fallon thing on the first watch was weird because <laughs> I felt like the character was just this empty space that I noticed the the outline of something. And the few times that they would show him, I kept getting like a sleuth, you know, the Anthony Schaefer thing where I was like, that's clearly somebody in makeup because everyone well, else is like a British character actor. You never Who see him up close. He's always just like you just like at the edge of the frame and kind of like the, the camera never really lingers he's like on him. He's a non-playable him. character. Yeah. You're just like, yeah, he's just kind but of there. Do you know the last time he comes to the prison? That's, that's like the real close-up we get of him where he says goodbye. I mean, first time watching it, I think my brain like just didn't know what to do with that character. And okay. so I never considered it, yeah. Mm. Um, oh, speaking of uh, doubles, though, was I the only one who really thought that um, uh, is it Owens, like the lawyer for Lord Cordlow, was uh, Hugh Jackman in disguise? Like, I feel like they look similar enough that I kept like wondering, is that just Hugh Jackman in makeup? Am I alone uh, that? <laughs> no, but I know who Roger Reese is. Okay. I love Roger Reese. Like, unfortunately, he's gone now. But uh, spoiler about me, I wish I had lived a life to such that Roger Reese would have played me in a movie. <laughs> that guy is always great. Yeah, maybe just because I'm not familiar with the actor, I thought, like, I kept looking at him like, is that just Hugh Jackman in makeup? Like, old person makeup? Yeah. It's Lord John Marbury, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the movie just, we're playing with time right off the bat. Michael Caine is, like, showing the magic trick to Borden's daughter, which should have fucked me up the first time, because I, I would have been like, how does he even know her yeah, later yeah. on? Yeah. <laughs> well, and just the the idea of the 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 pledge, the turn, and then prestige here. It's a great setup for what we're gonna get throughout the rest of the movie. Well, are and, those actual magic terms, or was that something just for the movie? Actually, not, no. not in the book. In the book, okay. it's like the setup, the twist, and then the pledge, or or then the prestige. Like mm-hmm. but I mean, whatever. They need to be fancy. They need to be the yes. pledge, the turn, and the prestige. But uh, like a lot of Nolan movies, it starts in media ray. Like, I mean, not to the degree of like, no spoilers again, like Tenet. It's like, holy fuck, we're at the end of a whole other movie at the start of that movie. Um, but yeah, we, then we see the, the final transported man. Yeah, and falling into the, the tank and drowning there. Well, just the, the guy that stops him and he's just like, I'm part of the bloody act, you idiot. <laughs> I love it. I, I always wonder watching this movie, like, how is it that these guys are always getting picked to go up on stage? Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so making something disappear is enough. You have to bring it back. Um, like, at a certain point, do you tell your assistant, like, just like, no, no men at all, just all, just only women, you know, like, <laughs> he's got to avoid any possibility that that guy's in disguise. Okay, the bullet catch gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Fallon picks him. 
That's <laughs> clearly I, I Hugh Jackman. Say that later. Like, you can, I was like, that's not that good of a design. It's clearly your rival. I mean, maybe he's been going there for like two weeks or something in, in disguise, like hoping for a chance. It's just Hugh Jackman in like an Rasputin wig or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like, come on. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I'm fascinated by the the job of the engineer. Um, again, I've mentioned before, like one of my favorite old British shows, it's a show called Jonathan Creek, where it's like someone's engineer solves impossible crimes. Mm. It's a ridiculous show. But like, what a cool fucking show. And I like uh, how we, idea. we get into the kind of the the side of magic, the magic world, where it's just like, hey, that trick, you know, the, the, the secret to that trick's valuable to me. You can't just expose it to anyone, you know. I love that he has open court. He's just like, I can't sell this trick mm-hmm. if I have to give it to you. Though all these fucking peanut gallery morons. Um, we got a great selection of just like British character actors. A guy named Jim Pettick plays the prosecutor. He's been in fucking everything, you know, like Angel Lost. Um, this movie has such strong other shows. It's such strong like Batman Begins vibes at the beginning because it's like Christian Bale's in prison again. Yeah, you got Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is uh, his best use of Michael Caine, honestly. I mean, even better than Dark Knight, I think. Well, I don't know. And Dark Knight has those like long monologues about like when he was in Burma, like hunting jewel thieves or something. <laughs> I mean, certainly better than his use in Tenet, I'll say that. Yeah. No spoilers. <laughs> I think yeah, Michael Caine yeah. maybe like had a few cocktails before they filmed that scene, too. Well, they just found well, him at lunch and <laughs> aimed a camera at him. Also... With these actors who like have not aged for forty years, like Patrick Stewart, you realize that the first thing that goes is their ability to speak. <laughs> um, I love that he's just eating like uh, like like fish and chips in that movie too. <laughs> as, he's, as he's criticizing the Brooks Brothers suit, anyway. Um, but yeah, he's he's fucking great in this this movie, and I love that he's just like twins. It's always twins. I promise you, it's twins. Don't even know how to do it. Or doubles, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the judge is played by a guy named Daniel Davis, who was like the butler on the nanny, but he's also Professor Moriarty in Star Trek The Next Generation twice. And then, yeah, we get to kind of the, the device of reading the diary here on the train going to Colorado Springs. Um, it's just like a really cool vibe to all this stuff where he kind of arrives there by himself and like the light turns on and everyone inside. Like, and he, you notice he's like walking with a cane. Right, right. Like, yeah, he's he's got the limp, and then everyone inside of the hotel is just like waiting for him. He's like the first one there, or something. Um, which is awesome. But uh, before that, when Rodriguez is like talking about it, uh, you know, we're gonna take your daughter away. She'll want for nothing if Lord Cardlow, and uh, Borden is just like, no, she'll just go with Fallon. And I love that he's just like a man of a past, almost as obscure as your own. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I'm gonna say right now that I can't do a British accent, so. <laughs> None of these lines are in your British accent. You just, I'm trying to think which is the, I feel like Michael Caine is like the one that everyone thinks they can do, but he's actually the Widowmaker, you know, like, uh, I won't bury another Batman. Yeah. <laughs> I love the shots um, on taking the, the coach up to uh, Tesla's lab. Like, it's like kind of snow dappled ground. It's like super hazy in the daytime. Like, I don't know if this is actually just a set or what, but like, it's just like a, a really kind of mysterious vibe. Like, this is what it must feel like to approach Tesla, you know, as he's like limping up in his hat there. Supposedly they, it's a real place and mm. they just like CGI'd out some of the more modern mm. buildings. Um, pass by it in my notes. I would argue that after American Psycho, this is also the movie that Christian Bale is the most perfectly cast in. 
because he's not a normal guy. <laughs> he always is smart, intellectual, sullen, arrogant, wounded, and obsessive. And it's just a fucking circus for him here. Oh, I, I think it's already happened, but uh, there's a moment where uh, I think it's when Owens, the, the lawyer, gives his card to Borden prison and Borden does the thing where he like snaps his hand and like the card disappears. Uh, it's kind of going going for the reverse of that with uh, Mr. Webb and the troubled books there. Hmm. The guard mentions that the warden is convinced that Borden's going to try to escape. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah so, so Colorado Springs, it's lit up. They have streetlights everywhere. He's shocked to see that the whole town has electricity. And then not, not to confuse things on the podcast, but we have Allie here on the podcast with us. But we also have Allie, the character, played by Andy Serkis. Um, I love how we were introduced to him where he like uh, Andrew comes up and tries to touch the fence. It says it's electrocuted and he gets electrocuted. And then <laughs> Allie comes out and he's just like, I'm amazed at how many of you newspaper writers can't read my sign. Um, I think he's great. There's a bit in that scene where Hugh Jackman's just like, I've come to see Tesla and, and like circus has just gone off about how he, he recognized the great Danton. <laughs> um, but the way, the way he says, why? There's so much volume and meaning. Like he just knows that he's about to be let down by someone he admires. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, what dumb reason do you want to come see Tesla? But one word, he's just like, why? <laughs> I mean, it's generally accepted that he's a Andy Serkis is a better regular actor than a mocap actor, right? Just the in my opinion, yeah, I don't know, and I know he's obviously his golem is probably what he's best known or for. Voice actor, because I mean. Mm-hmm. Not even the stuff that he does mocap for like Snoke, but just Snoke's voice in the Star Wars movies is so interesting. Um, but I like that uh, Hugh Jackman's really representing him with the reason why you should take him seriously. I've brought a lot of money. <laughs> brought a lot of money. <laughs> but yeah, I really like Andy Serkis just as, as a character actor. I think he, he's a really interesting actor for this role. Um, it definitely, he's not just like a, a throwaway like assistant or anything. Like he has his own personality. Well, and when he's when he's playing Ulysses Claw, like you can't not see him. He just <laughs> yeah, he dominates all the scenes. Um, also, the he references the trick where someone walks away and what's in my pocket. Is that not how they brought down Gollum? I was going to say I feel like that was a Hobbit reference, <laughs> right? What's in your pocket? What's it's got in its pockets is. Um, so deciphering every page of a notebook and the code <laughs> word changes, or the the way you decipher it changes of every single page. That's got to be fun. Is he waiting each new day? Page? I think he says later it 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 changes on every page. Because I thought the code word was just Tesla. Right? Yeah, but I think the way he has to use it in some fashion. It's like okay. something about the, yeah, I don't know. Like rotating cipher. Rotating yeah. cipher, yeah, sure. Okay, that makes more sense. Because I think later he says, oh, like, she says, like, can you translate it tonight? And he goes, no, it's going to take months. And I was wondering, like, <laughs> how? But yeah, I guess if it rotates, that would take a while. Maybe he's just doing one page per day or something. I don't know. Savoring it. Yeah. Just drinking it in like a fine wine. Uh, so we get the flashback to uh, Piper Prabo as, uh, as a Julia, I think, uh, his original wife, Angers, and the, the trick that they do for Ricky J here. Okay. So the, the start of, of Borden's journal, um, there's a great twist right there. So you hear Christian Bale's voiceover. We were two young men at the start of a great career, two young men devoted to an illusion, two young men who never intended to hurt anyone. <laughs> and we're panning over Angier and Borden. And that's who you think that we're talking about. But, nope. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's my question. Like, at what point do you sit down with your twin brother and go, 
well, this is going to be the rest of our <laughs> life. Like, how does how does one bring up that conversation to your brother and be like, let's just share one life? I guess they both had to be into magic because otherwise, you know, like if just one of them wanted to be a magician, the other one's like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. It's like, I don't really have, you know, aspirations. So sure. Well, I mean, did they not even consider one of them getting married? <laughs> Like, I mean, because, like, was the other one just like, Rebecca Hall? Dude, I don't like her. <laughs> I really don't like her. I mean, I have uh, comments about how they handle that all situation in later scenes, but I felt like they could have done a better job. But. They do imply they don't really know which one's the father, though, right? Do they? No, no, they, I think they know. I mean, I, w- I would have to assume, ethically speaking, that... One of yeah. them is uh, yeah, they're not ethical, in the mood. They're ethical yeah. dudes. <laughs> they're ethical dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, no- go ahead. I was going to say, like in this, like I guess it's not their initial meeting, but the initial kind of the earliest scene that we see them. I think isn't there a thing where you know he's kind of bantering with him, be like, oh, like you have a tr- you're, you have a trick you're working on. Like when are you going to see it? And I think like Borden says something like, no one can replicate my trick, right? Like just yeah, like things yeah. that you pick up on about the twins are just from the start i like that it's it's not ready yet too like like what <laughs> how are you brewing this trick still um yeah piper Paragobo, i think is great in this movie um and i love that they're working for this uh, shitty magician played by ricky J. <laughs> ricky J always gets cast as like the shitty magician yeah and i, I like the uh easy and uh, not angier um cutter over on the side with the the stopwatch out and like the axe like ready to run in uh, just in case it doesn't go well. Yeah, yeah. Um, Shouldn't so, they have someone standing behind the tank at all times just to, you know, see if the person inside is struggling? Yeah, just like maybe the, cur- the curtain doesn't go all the way around, you know, like so you right? can see Because like, I was always confused about the stopwatch. I assume he's just timing a minute and then after a minute, if she doesn't pop out, he's going to come charging with the axe. But Yeah, because she pulls down the curtain, I think is what we find out later. I I think what may be going wrong, on the curtain doesn't come down until so they pull it down. I think there must be some sort of signal that she's giving to Ricky J as to like when she's ready. You know, mm-hmm. like maybe maybe it's just something that like the audience can't hear. But I think that must was must be what's going on because Ricky J like he's kind of like when it when it goes wrong, he's like kind of looking at it like waiting for something. You know. Well, it just the detail of uh, and I definitely picked up the first viewing. It's just when uh, Hugh Jackman like kisses her thigh. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, this guy's getting real fresh. I, I liked And then like later they work it in where you know, Michael Caine's just like, you and your bloody sidelines, you know? <laughs> yeah, if I can see it, the audience can see it. But uh, so after the show, Christian Bale is the kind of employee who's just straight up talking shit about their boss in the break room. <laughs> They're all talking shit. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, uh, I think was, we find out somewhere in here that Angier is married to Julia, um, but like he's changed his name like so he wouldn't disgrace his family for for pursuing the the arts here it's theatrical like a, pursuit. aristocratic magician yeah. right and borden's more working class mm-hmm. which is fascinating so the whole american thing is a ruse it's part of the robert angier thing he's actually british and he's lord cordlow which i think is i don't know it's interesting when you just like pull up you take like you i don't know take off the mask put the mask back on it's it fascinates me um, so Michael Caine says, you know, you two, you, you're so hungry for magic. Go see this magician, Chung Lee Su. 
if you can come back and tell me how the goldfish bowl trick is done, I'll get you 10 minutes with my, my, my friend, like London's best theatrical agent. Did you read the, uh, the IMDb trivia on this guy? Mm-hmm. Like the, it's a, it's a white guy who <laughs> stole an Asian magician's secret and, and maintained it for a while. And then bullet catch gone wrong. So his, his first words in English in 18 years and his final words were I've been shot. <laughs> and he died. Yeah. Also, we find out the Langford double is not a wet knot. Yeah. So, what, what do you guys think about the knot and and how he doesn't know? So he, the twin, never tells his brother is, is that which what it is? knot he okay. tied, right? Because, like, I guess whenever they ask him, it always just ha- that was my assumption at least is whenever he gets asked or ever we see him get asked, it's always the twin who didn't do it. So, mm. I guess for some reason, they didn't talk about which knot convenient they, and that would that would convenient. be probably freddie who tied the knot right yeah yeah that was my understanding mm-hmm. it was the more brash twin who mm-hmm. tied the i guess the knot holds better so she wouldn't fall but it swells up and she can't slip it yeah yeah convenient that they're only asking albert or whichever one <laughs> i just like the the funeral you know no <laughs> how could you not know and the funeral is when uh Michael Caine is talking about the story about this drowning sailor and how it was like going home, right? He definitely sugarcoats it then. It was like going home. Yeah. Which then makes Robert Andrews' whole thing fucking dark. <laughs> dark as shit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I like but the, yeah, so he's... Go ahead. I was say, there's a voice over here where Angier is like commenting on the diary and he says, Borden writes as if he's the only one who understands the true nature of magic. What does he know of self-sacrifice? And then it cuts to Borden reading the journal. And he, he has this smile on his face like, you fucking asshole. He's <laughs> you know? just like, bloody fool. Um, yeah, just the, the bits where he's trying to impress Julia by like figuring out how to do the goldfish bowl. <laughs> like, like he's like doing this like, little waddle. <laughs> like, yeah, this is how it's done, right? <laughs> um, I mean, but like you mentioned before, like, you know, Borden gets the trick right away because he's doing something similar, right? He's living this huge lie of a life in order just to pull off a trick. And, and Andrew as well is living a fake life, you know, as an American to hide his true identity. And yet it never occurs to him, you know, that, that somebody else might be doing that too. Like he just, he doesn't want to believe the, the obvious answer that's right in front of him the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. What I mean, what I like is I almost, I almost think it would work backwards where, it's like Borden saw the guy walking to the carriage and he's like, that's a fucking phony. You know, it's, it's the, uh, it's the Walter Sobchak thing. Like this guy fucking walks. I know it. <laughs> and like, he, I feel like he, re- he then reverse engineers in his mind. Oh, he's probably just like straddling the goldfish bowl between his like apparently incredibly strong thighs. Um, so I like the detail that Julia thinks up the name, the great Danton. And he's like, well, that's ridiculous. And then of course he's just like, yeah, I'm going to be the great Danton forever. <laughs> Yeah, he refuses uh, to change the name later when he screws up. And then we meet Sarah. Yeah, we have the, the whole scene where she meets Borden there. The, where's his nephew and all that. Foreshadowing the twin double and one twin dying. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when he's outside and she goes into her apartment and then he's inside. Yeah. That, yes. that was a twin switch, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Also, if that happened to me, I would be running, screaming. <laughs> but, you know, she finds it cool, so that's okay. Yeah. Oh, and you just kind of go with it because you're like, well, he's a magician. Yeah, sure. I guess he can do that. You know? 
I, I mean, think he has a line in there. He's like, do you think that's really going to keep me out? And I was like, well, that is uh, <laughs> that's creepy. creepy. <laughs> that's very yeah. creepy. Implications aside, though, if I had a twin, it would be nothing but cheap tricks. That's all <laughs> I would do. I wouldn't even be trying to do the transported man. I'd just be like, what simple dumb tricks can we be doing constantly? But the dead bird thing is a fascinating like metaphor throughout because you have you know various people caged. Mm-hmm. They can't soar free. But also, it's the basis of the, you know, you don't want to get your hands dirty. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, people are going to get their hands dirty. I like the scene where uh, Cutter's talking to the judge and like showing him this incredibly weirdly shaped box that the uh, the transported man trick fits into. And he says, this wasn't built by a magician. This was built by a wizard. <laughs> uh, dumb question, going to the weeds. Had the box built a machine to break down into that shape box, built the machine, broke it down, and we're like, you know what we need is a really bananas-looking shaped box. Also, Edison's men are literally firebombing the place. Yeah. Are you done building this like 15 foot tall box yet, there's, Mr. Alley? There's something very ominous about it. It looks like something out of like the Shining or something. I don't know. It's yeah. just like a weird shape. Kind of. It always reminded me of like a giant, like, I don't know if you were in band ever, but like <laughs> a metronome, like a giant oh, right, yeah. metronome. Yeah. Also, whoever's behind this marketing ploy of the monoliths, <laughs> take note. <laughs> this is a shape that creeps us out. <laughs> Absolutely. At this point, just sell me whatever the fucking monolith thing is. I'm tired <laughs> of it. It's, it's 2020. I can't take it anymore. Um, the finale is the alien invasion. We all knew what's going to come. The aliens come down and they come out and they waddle their way up to a microphone and they're just like, Trump lost. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I like how we you kind of see how the, the tank works and how it's got like the little thing that slides aside and the trick lock and all that. And we learn oh, the wrong lock was on there. Mm-hmm. And then we get the, uh, the the trick gone wrong here with Julia there here, where you can see I, I guess it's Freddie here. He like starts to tie one knot and then he changes his mind and ties another. Mm-hmm. And she kind of nods like, "Yeah, go ahead, do it." You know, she's, yeah, she's in on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, this is just me, you know, engineering mind, just thinking like, if you don't have someone standing behind the tank, at least have some quick release door. Right. So right. you don't have to ask the yeah. thing down. But. Yeah. It's something where you just, you know, hit a, hit a lever and like the, the back of it, like, you know, opens up or something like that. Uh, James, did you, by any chance, have a PTSD flashback to another movie about magic and deception that we watched a few weeks ago? Uh, Starring Keegan Allen as the great Danton. Was that about magic? No, no, no. But there's a whole water tank scene in that. That's right. There is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was also I say, I poorly did not designed. Watch that movie? <laughs> you shouldn't. <laughs> it's yeah, just watch good. the game. The pro the problem with that movie is that your eyes are connected to your brain. <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't advise putting it in there. Um, yeah, so she's in the tank, and and it's kind of grisly too when he finally breaks through, and that thing, all that water just comes out into the audience, including her dead body. Yeah, this is, I guess this is before the invention of CPR, which is why they just kind of stare at her and are like, well, <laughs> that sucks. I know. Um, some movie CPR would definitely have brought her back. Yeah. Well, then we get a scene where he's, Hugh Jackman's immediately like constantly submerging his face in the water in the sink to like mimic. Like he's fetishizing her death already. It's pretty dark. And it's before he's even told it's like going home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Borden shows up and they're just like, what is this asshole doing here? Which knot did you tie? I feel like he's a little unfair putting everything on Borden here, but I guess he didn't, he didn't see her nod. as like, yeah, go ahead and do it. He's not going to be rational. I mean, his wife just yeah. died. Also, the little uh, mausoleum, you can't even get to the other side of that thing because of the coffin. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do they, like, if you want to go to the other side, do you have to like, go all the way back down that hallway and, like, go around and then oh, come? The ultra-white, ultra-futuristic-looking yeah. mausoleum. Yeah. Like, they had to turn her coffin at an angle just because <laughs> that's how narrow that hallway is. <laughs> and we get, uh, um, I guess this is our first introduction to Fallon here. He's just kind of there. Um, and it's like always just like at the side of a frame or he's kind of ducking his head so he can't really see his face very well. And he just kind of mumbles something to her. And she's like, who's that guy? I'll eat half his food so we can afford him. Weird. Mm-hmm. Like that's a weird solution, especially if you're already married and have a baby on the way. But I mean, they didn't even anticipate that people would be, I don't know, kind of creeped out by Fallon. <laughs> like they never saw that coming. I guess that's the trick of the movie, right? That's the magic trick of the movie is you misdirection. You never really notice him. Mm -hmm. People are just like, that guy creeps me out. I don't even want to look at him. Yeah. (laughs) I like the the scene where they do the bullet catch, just him him pretending to catch the bullet. It's fun. Well, then she says, I think what's probably the most damning thing to him, probably what makes her hate him, hate her even more. This particular twin is, oh, well, when you know how it's done, it's really quite obvious. (laughs) And he's just like, God damn you. Yeah, I think we mentioned this. This is the scene where she tells him, the Ron twin, that she's pregnant. And he like definitely has a look on his face where he's like, oh, shit, we should have told Fallon because he's definitely the real father. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder. Because, you know, sometimes spontaneous amorous feelings come up. And is he just like... He's got a headache. Hold that thought. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be can- back in 25 minutes. <laughs> Can't they schedule it a little better where it was like, okay, when we're with Ro- the wife, romantic. it's always going to be romantic. Like, you know, when you schedule come home, it. it's always going to be this twin for the right, right? Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and then she has a line, maybe today you're more in love with magic than me. And then it's time to go uh, have Andy ruin his show here as he's doing the bull catch. I like how they're just like, they're watching him do this stuff with like the metal rings and like nobody cares. They're like, this is lame. And so he just like pulls a gun out and points it at the audience. Like they're actively booing him, which I love. Also, I just, I love the image of Hugh Jackman. He's just like doing the hands thing and like making the bullet disappear before he goes. Like right. Yeah. What's going on here? Was there uh, nothing to do back in the day except go to magic shows? Because then you have like your fancy magic shows you go to, then you have like your bar magic shows you're going to. It's just back in the day when it was just like live performance, you know, it's like plays or magic or I don't, I don't know if comedy invent, uh, was invented yet. You know, like they had well, stand-up no, comics. So, no, no, there's a line later about comedy. Yeah. Is there? Okay. It's yeah. hilarious, yeah. The, the great W. Morgan Shepard of his amazing voice is just like, I'm going to hire a comedian and I fucking I hate, hate comedians. <laughs> yeah that that was just there's no internet there's no tv there's no movies you just you know got drunk or went to see one of these i guess yeah yeah but i mean can you imagine like you go to see tenet right and then like you're like that was really good i'm gonna go see it again and the second time somebody fucking died (laughs) while making the movie (laughs) and you're like these shows are great 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like the other twin deserves to have his fingers cut off just because it's like, how did you not know that was Hugh Jackman when you handed him the loaded gun? <laughs> so who do we think? Yeah, then, who do we think gets the the finger shot off? Is this uh, Albert? I think it's Albert who gets shot off because then later Sarah's patching one of them up and mm-hmm. she's like, "Oh, this is weird. Your wounds have reopened. It's bad as a day it's happened." So it implies that it's. Freddie and he then he blows up at her so i'm assuming yeah. it's freddy in that scene so albert's the one who gets shot and and albert being the one who's a little more um i don't know internal and like grave like when he sees uh angier here he he fe- it looks like he's more guilty i guess you know like he, well, no angier also asks him like which not did mm-hmm. he tie he doesn't know yeah he, right? that's so right that's another way we mm-hmm. yeah we also know it's albert so are we then are we then assuming that it's freddie who tied the knot yeah yeah because yeah. okay. he's more you know he would have taken the risk and gone ahead when you see the flashback to the actual like chiseling off the other one's <laughs> fingers i just love the detail that he just has to like put his hand over his because it's the same yeah. hand and just be like this is it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, just the half of me before he does it. Yeah, half of me knows, half of me doesn't. The way he just keeps iterating the half a life thing, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, Andrew reading the uh, the diary where this is described, and he's like, "How could he not know?" <laughs> I mean, I don't know why the brother hasn't told him about the not thing at this point. After you get shot by for not knowing, <laughs> I would ask, just, just tell me. Maybe it'll just it'll just die down, and Robert Angier will just be cool about it at some mm-hmm. point. Nope. What was the thing with like the weird little like playing cards they'd find on the bottom of their pint glass? Was that like a thing done in the 1900s? Well, if you're if you're theatrical as fuck, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like that, like especially for Michael Caine, he's just behind him. With, I mean, like, tell me you're not going to recognize when Michael Caine's like, I'll have two pints, you know, like you're not going to recognize that voice directly behind you. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a little cooler when Angier does it to him later and just like just an address. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you, do you I, like I love the, pay the bartender, like tip him extra to like put that under the dude's glass or something? But I just love the uh, uh, when he's like, I want I want to I want to, you know, there's an upcoming magician who needs a gig. It's you. Plus, I need a job. Who's going to hire the guy that killed Julia McCullough? <laughs> I guess, I guess that was my question. Like, why does Cutter team up with Angier? Is it just money? Seemingly just what he says there. Like, he's he he's tainted by the death of Julia as well. And so uh, this is his way to stay in the game. Well, I don't think he likes Borden, you know. And even before he blames him for his knowledge of exotic knots, I just don't think he likes his style. And plus, Borden doesn't need a, a non-genere. And Angier is more the showman, I think. I think Cutter is probably more drawn to that. It's like, well, this guy's better. He may not be as like accomplished of a magician as Borden, but he's like better at the uh, the kind of showmanship part of it. So yeah, you definitely see that in like Jonathan Creek because Jonathan Creek, the character, is this withdrawn, mumbly um, anorak, basically. Um, and his uh, his magician, who's played by Anthony Stewart Head in the first episode. Is like he has no magical knowledge. He's just super theatrical, mm-hmm. and so he just he did he just sells it. So you see that here too, I think. And oh, this is where um, we get our uh, introduction to Scarlett Johansson the movie as Olivia. Well, just the they bring her in, put her in the cabinet. There's no point in meeting Mister Angiers if you're not going to fit. Mm-hmm. I like that he's just like reading a magazine nearby, like just ignoring her. <laughs> uh. 
This is a- and I guess this next scene should have been on one of my top moments. Uh, just the engineering of the modified bird gauge trick with like just the, like the springs on the, the back and, and the screen. Yeah. yeah. Like, like I'm an engineer mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I've always been really drawn to like magic and magic shows and all that kind of thing, but not to be amazed. I'm always watching the shows, just, you know, trying to like figure out how it's done. And like, just so, like seeing this scene was really fun. So, and there's like a really lot here. We get the, you know, the, <laughs> the compartment underneath the, uh, the the box she's hiding in we get the springs and all that yeah it's, it's mm-hmm. all neat to see like the kind of backstage type stuff how much do you think that vest weighs like 40 pounds it probably doesn't look like, <laughs> yeah. i love how cutter you know tells him at the beginning this thing like you know gotta get your hands dirty if you want to be successful and then they do it while killing the bird and he's like i thought i was gonna have to get my hands dirty it's like i think what, what is his line something like i just wanted, I just wanted to know that know if you could yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um so the addition for for Again, the W W Morgan Shepherd, who's got a great voice, um, he created Mark Shepherd, his son, who also has a great voice. But yeah, um, I like that. Mr. Like the theatrical guy merits, just like I don't want to see this animal hurt. <laughs> <laughs> it's somewhere uh, in here, I, I can't remember exactly where it is, but the they're talking about the Olivia character and how like she's uh, an amateur, but like she kind of she knows how to present on stage she's kind of like somewhat a natural dad as well like the same way Andrea is mm-hmm. does what Borden needs yeah. do they is there a line in the movie something about how like um, the magician's most valuable tr- like tool is like a pretty assistant yeah. to distract the audience yeah. right yeah well are you going to see Ricky Jay in this movie because <laughs> he's like such a dynamic stage presence mm-hmm. but, I mean uh, it's it's so true you know misdirection is such a huge part of uh the magic tricks. And so obviously if they have ScarJo up there, you know, kind of enticing the audience they're they're not going to notice what, you know, they should be looking at. Well, I like that Merritt doesn't want to see this animal hurt, but he would really like for him to do a bullet catch and or a water escape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I like the way Cutter kind of comes in and it's just like, you don't want that. Your clientele doesn't want that too. They're too classy for that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, later they have the Russian ballet that they have to boot. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. This is so, where Borden ruins the bird trick, right? He just squishes the cage. Yeah, he just comes up and puts his like deformed hand on top of it with the missing fingers. Breaks the woman's fingers, I think. Yeah, and Andrew's just like, oh, shit, how did I pick you again? <laughs> or how did Olivia this yeah. time? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, do you think at some point he sits Olivia down? It's like, okay, this is what this guy looks like. He might be wearing different disguises, but just, man, just like no one who's about that tall at all, you know? Just pick women. Just pick yeah. women. <laughs> yeah. No, you can't go wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is this when the guy's like, oh, I have to hire a comedian now. I hate yeah. comedians. Yeah, yeah. They, they're they're talking about like, oh, it'll be better next time. And he's like, there's no next time. Yeah. They like fired the first night. Mm-hmm. For their one week show, yeah. yeah. And then um, they, uh, we cut back to Colorado Springs where Allie comes to visit Danton at the the hotel. That is it the middle of winter or like, I don't know what, what time of year it is, but it's like uh, Andrew is like the only one there at this hotel. I kind of love it. I, I, it's kind of so cool, she, yeah. This is a movie that like didn't set off my like 2020 Spidey sense of seeing people at parties or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was just like, dining room all to yourself? Great. Um <laughs> The little details, I love this fucking scene. Like, uh, why are you guys out in Colorado? That's where the lightning lives. I yeah. love that. When he's when he's explaining the um the five-letter, like, you know, keyword to decipher it. And he's like, 
like uh, uh, Andy Circus is like, I want to see it or whatever. I want to look at it. And he's like, oh, we magicians have a circle <laughs> of trust. And he's like, you have a circle <laughs> of trust with some of his diaries still? I love that line. Yeah. Oh, and it just, it just shows that the Alley character is he's not just like the the help or the assistant. Like he's pretty sharp in, in, in and of itself, you know. like He's, he's got some guile. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's not just like a straight up fanboy mm-hmm. of Angie right. either. Like he's a fan of him, but he's not going to worship him. Yeah. So this is when they go to the field in the middle of the night and he like shows them. It just looks so cool. Like something. See, yeah. seeing all the electricity all the go lights. out and then, uh, you know, in the city and then they all light up. So neat. Well, just thematically though, they're up to something like, like right in front of and under the nose of the people of Colorado Springs. Um, well, I seem to like recall magic. when this movie came out, there was kind of like this, I don't know, resurgence of kind of appreciation for Nikola Tesla. Like, I don't know if you remember that, Marco, where it's kind of like, hey, you know who's pretty cool, actually, was Tesla. Like, that guy invented, like, all this stuff, and he, like, you know, came up with the idea for, like, Wi-Fi or something. You know, like, like, all the, like, wireless charging. Was, everyone retroactively was like, and Edison. Edison's kind of a, <laughs> kind of a jerk. Yeah. yeah, Edison's a piece of shit. Um, my favorite detail is that Tesla is pretty positive that he's responsible for Tunguska. Oh, right, right, yeah. he apparently, no joke, created a death ray. And tested it like 16 seconds before the Tunguska event, like on the other side of the world. And he's just like, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, Tesla and uh, uh, what's his name? The father of all codes. Um, Turing. Who, who, Turing. Yeah. It's like we finally started to appreciate these scientists who mm-hmm. we tried to destroy. I still remember at some point and when I was like maybe like fifth grade or something. My school put on this whole stupid like musical production about uh, Edison. Tesla? No, not about Tesla, about Edison. <laughs> and like, awesome. I, I can't remember the title. It's like the Electric Sunshine Man or something like that. And it, <laughs> there, there are all these like dumb songs about Edison and how great he was. And it's just funny because like in real life, Edison is just really more of a businessman, like going around stealing everyone's ideas. So Edison's thing was direct current, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Tesla was alternating, current. alternating. Mm-hmm. and then they together they created that band. Did anyone watch that Current War movie? <laughs> no. Is that, is that, is that Edison? Is that, it's it's yeah. called the Current Wars. Okay. It's like Edison versus Tesla. Um, Who does Cumberbatch play? I think Tesla. Okay. What? I can look it up. Let me see. Isn't Tom Holland in that movie? Tom Holland is in that movie. Yeah. I don't get Tom Holland. You don't get Tom Holland. I don't get. I think Tom you're alone in that. I'm oh no, but Cumberbatch is Edison. Okay. And who's, who's Tesla? Who is Tesla? Let me see here. Oh, Nicholas Holt. Holland. Nicholas Holt. Wow, that's a oh, weird casting, yeah. but interesting. Interesting. Just try to to deep fake the scenes of this movie with Nicholas Holt instead of Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> like Nicholas Holt, but that's, that's not the same. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was thinking, because you mentioned Planet Prince, who is weird enough that could have been this role? I mean, it would have been weird, but Prince is the only other weird person I can think of. I, I'm fascinated by these musicians who who act. Because do you remember for a while that uh, Michael Jackson was really desperate to do a movie in which he played Edgar Allan Poe? He um, oh, what was he like? Really wanted to be Jar Jar, I think. If I'm recalling correctly, I think I think that was what Michael Jackson. As in Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, as in Jar Jar Binks. I, I think I think I'm correct in that. Like, there's a couple you roles. You said just blew my mind. Yeah, there are a the couple roles that like he really wanted to do, but like the director wasn't into it. Okay, that makes the Poe thing seem a little less weird now. Yeah, Michael Jackson, Jar Jar. Michael Binks. Jackson, you're not going to go to Tunisia. 
and <laughs> would do that. Like you're just not. Uh, poor Ahmed Best. I'm not sure. Like retroactively, Ahmed Best is like he can have it. Mm-hmm. I do love the Tesla Edison rivalry as kind of background well, in yeah. this movie, kind of as a parallel to the main rivalry. When they go to this like exposition that's happening, like um, I think Cutter is told Andrew to like go there for inspiration or something like that, and he he sees Borden there, and there's like these kind of like plants, um, kind of yeah. ironically because they do plants for for magic, but there's the, these plants the bearded guy from Edison in the audience just being like, "This is this is unsafe. It's gonna blow. Nobody can trust this," you know. Because you see them later in Colorado mm-hmm. Springs working for Edison. Um, yeah, it's kind of fascinating that the the shitty dirty tricks that they do. Um, I was just thinking you reminded me like uh, in sixth grade, I did a book report on Harry Houdini. And I think that's where I mm-hmm. started to love magic because he was a weird, fascinating guy too. Oh, oh, oh. So that reminds me too. Speaking of Harry Houdini, who busted up seances. That was his thing for a while. That's in the book. That's how uh, Borden and Angiers, it's a Rupert Angiers in the book, have their falling out is that Angiers is doing these like phony seances and Borden shows up and like proves that one of them is fake. Hmm. And then pushes Julia down the stairs by accident and she miscarries. Huh. She doesn't die. She miscarries. And that's like the, the evolution of their uh, rivalry. I feel like this works better this way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> this, this movie doesn't need a seance. <laughs> We've got enough going on. Um, but yeah, I like the Christian Bell is just like casually watching the expo, with the, with the, the electricity and the lightning. Mm-hmm. And then I think this is where uh, they're following each other, right? Yeah, or the first time that Andrew is following Borden and he sees that like, oh, Borden just has like a wife and a baby and he's happy and he's like, he can't even like accept that. He just has to be like, no, how how dare that guy have like a, a fulfilling life when my wife died? Must be miserable as me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, somewhere in there we get a moment with, uh, I think it's that moment where, where he comes upon Sarah and he's just like, Sarah, I love you. And she's like, see, today is, it's true. <laughs> Yay. Which in retrospect sounds miserable. Yeah. Also, just want to call out the uh, outfit that Andrew is wearing there. It's like this big top hat and like this kind of plum trench coat and suit and everything. Yeah. Like, I don't know. The fashion's really funny in this. He he bought it on Planet Prince. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So he's reading that about Borden. And I love this bit from these, like he's analyzing the journal. His mind is a divided one. His soul restless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what do you think of um, particularly Hugh Jackman's narration of the diary the way he's just kind of like whispering everything i liked it i thought it it worked um i think this is fine with me this is uh the the scene in the jail where uh the guards kind of hassling him and so he he plays a little trick on him with the the bouncing ball and all that like that is this the first appearance of the red rubber ball i think so that reoccurs later right yeah yeah i think this is the first time we see it it's part of the original transported man, right? They yeah. Like toss a ball. Oh, that's other. right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this is, this is the first, at least, you know, in terms of the movies runtime where you see it. Um, when, uh, is this where Roger Reese brings the daughter who I think is Tess to Jess. visit him? Mm-hmm. Tess or Jess? Jess. Okay. When he brings her to like visit him and she has her doll and she's like, I'm going to name it Sarah. And he's just like, ouch. <laughs> Way to rub it in. I will say, super cute kid, as far as kids go. Yeah. I always like the the kind of snatches of dialogue you get between Borden and Fallon here. They're they're always very oblique, but you know, once you once you know the trick of it, Mm -hmm. they they make a lot more sense. 
Yeah. Um, so then I think this is where we meet Tesla next. Uh, February 8th, yeah. 1889. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I guess if it's February, then he stayed all winter in Colorado Springs there. I mean, Tesla, just a slut for a good introduction. <laughs> like, he's just like, you know what would be cool? If I just walk right out of the electricity, like I like it created me. Um, and it just immediately shakes his hand. Like, it's it's a performance in itself, yeah. Is this a scene where they go to lunch yeah. and mm-hmm. talk? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I used I changed the world once and the world's astounded. I, I changed it again and they politely asked me to retire. So here I am enjoying my retirement. Is this what they have the exchange where Tesla goes like, "Have you considered the cost?" Yeah, goes, yeah. Oh, Like he's like, "Money's not a problem." He goes, "No, no, no, not talking about that." Have you considered the cost? Oh, it's just yeah. like you should just go home. And he's like, "Well, if you understand obsession, you know that I won't." <laughs> well, it's fascinating because it's almost like Tesla knows exactly what he's going to create, and yet it still seems like some of it's a mystery to him. Well, I think he says at one point, like I've already been working on it or something like that. It's like, this was a technology he was already thinking about and working on. And here's this guy that wants it. And he's just like, okay, well, if you're going to give me money, either that, or he's, he's particularly already taken up Hugh Jackman's commission, you know, just in secret or whatever. Um, Even though I guess they can't calibrate the exit point. Very well. I mean, I guess it makes sense if you know kind of the real work Tesla did that this would be in like teleportation essentially is kind of in his general wheelhouse, you know, of kind of communication in general and like sending data from one point to another. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is how I believe science tells us real teleportation would work. You would destroy the original and create a copy, Mm -hmm. which is uh, makes Star Trek a lot darker. I remember my college roommate would all say, oh, I'm, I'm never doing teleportation if that's invented because it won't be the real me. It'll be a copy of me. Ship a Theseus, baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much philosophy you can get in at the very end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, so let's see. And then we have the, the scene between uh, ScarJo and, and Angier here as he's like getting ready to like grease his hair up to go watch the performance. Uh, I just love that she walks. Also, she's Scarlett Johansson. Nowhere to stay living at the theater or mm-hmm. the workshop or whatever. And he doesn't know. How does he not know at that point? <laughs> uh, well, and, and you can tell even here, she's like, maybe you shouldn't be so obsessed. You know, <laughs> he's just like not getting it at all. Or or she brings up the point, like, can't you guys just be even? And yeah. he's just like, my wife for a couple of fingers. <laughs> This is a scene where he goes and you see, or at least part of the uh, trick. Yeah. The first time he goes into a closet yeah. and comes out the other. You see him go in, uh, but not you out. You don't see him come mm-hmm. out yet. Yeah. Well, and I think like Cutter says in this scene, like they're trying to figure out how he's dead. And Cutter just straight up says he uses a double. Yeah. And Andrew won't believe him. Well, and this is where I think, especially Nolan's thing, where he's not comfortable unless there's like three timelines at once happening, really works because we don't really need to see the trick here. It's much more effective to see Hugh Jackman just like blown away after the fact, like, my God, it's the most real magic trick I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Even though, as you said, Penn Jillette would disagree. Well, and I think that's kind of the, uh, even though Cutter thinks it's a good trick, he's the one who immediately is just like, no, it's, it's clearly he's just using a double, you know, and, and Andrew just can't believe it. Um, and then yeah. Olivia's here as well. She's like, no, it's definitely not a double. You can see from like the, the padded gloves he's wearing. The, yeah, the fingers. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think Cutter says to her, like, it's, you know, it's a good trick, but it's like not presented or not shown right. Like, mm-hmm. it's got to 
It's a poor showman. You got to dress it up. Yeah, dress it up. And then, fortunately, Hugh Jackman's the greatest showman. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Gordon buys a house for Sarah here. I guess this is probably uh, Albert here buying the house because she was like, oh, he said yesterday we couldn't afford it. <laughs> you caught me in the wrong mood, he says. Yeah. Also, I mean, so I guess this they she does want this house. It's not a total uh, Jim and Pam moment, is what you're saying? Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> like, fucking Jim Halpert, who's just like, guess what, honey? We're all in on the mortgage of my parents' shitty house. My parents' shitty house, too. Anyway, um, so the meanwhile, the team, team Great Danton are looking for a double, and they find Jerry Root, and I fucking love this guy. <laughs> and- watching this movie, my thought is... If you had to go out and find a your double, if you were in this position, how easy would it be? Like, I don't know if I could go out in the world and just immediately find my twin. It's great if they live in the same town as you. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I like how Andrew's just like he's out of his mind, and Louis says, "Of course he is. He's an out of work actor." <laughs> <laughs> There's a line in there where I think I don't need him to be my brother. I need him to be me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, Gerald um, Root's a lot of fun. It's just like a cranky drunk. Um, yeah, so that when they when they finally have him made up as Angier and they're like running through it, I just love his just uh, you would drink too if you knew the world the way I do. <laughs> and then I love his just I have played Caesar, I have played Faust. Both men destroyed by their own ambition, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um and we get yeah, the, so the he, kind of the romance starting between Olivia and Angier here. But yeah, Hugh Jackman is just so aroused at doing this trick and upstaging Borden. And this is when you mentioned the, um, what do you want to call it? And he's like, let's not half-ass it. It's the new transported man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so then we see the actual first performance and you get this kind of Victorian Occidental view of things where he's just like, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to show you something that's known only to certain citizens of the Orient. <laughs> It's like, and oh um, what, what was the other line right after that? It's like, it's like something from like, um, like it's not the Alps, but whatever that that mountain range is, um, where like Mount Everest is. I can't remember the exact line, but Himalayas, Himalayas yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I like that the later when he's got the Tesla machine, he's just like, I can't even call this magic. Mm-hmm. It's just science, <laughs> which is true. Um, but you can definitely see the the kind of showmanship on display where he like at one point he like pulls out like a little rose and like, you know, shows it to ScarJo there. And she does like kind of mock like, oh, I'm touched. You know, like they're definitely they're eating it up. He throws his hat way up in the air and catches it as like the spotlight follows it. Better than a red rubber ball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although there's one point later where he's fallen down and like, I think it's where roots taking a while to go up or something. One of the, one of the iterations. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how long is that hat in the air? <laughs> <laughs> is there just a fan keeping it afloat for a moment? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So even, even Jerry root though, cause he can't talk cause he can't do the voice, but like he gets cheeky, like steals a kiss from Scarjo at one point. Um, oh, and then the kind of afterwards, you're kind of celebrating backstage. What a huge success it was! And then like Root's there, and then I go get this guy out of here. And then like, no, hold on, hold on. Mm-hmm. Root, they're talking shit about Root. They're doing the whole. No one cares who goes in the box. No one mm-hmm. cares who comes out the other side. They do not realize that Root is passed out in the same room <laughs> as them. <laughs> well, and then it's it's like should be this triumphant moment of like, hey, you're the toast of the town. You had this great trick. Everyone loves it. We're happy together. And he's just like. 
well, Olivia, I'm going to need to send you away to go spy on my rival because that's how little I actually care about you. In my notes, I have ca- all caps red flag. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, there's a couple of red flags away before mm-hmm. this, too. <laughs> but I mean, I think up to that point, somebody like Olivia could believe that, like, hey, this is, you know, this is, things are going well. You know, we've got this new trick and. Uh, maybe he's finally moving on. And nope, nope, not at all. <laughs> well, not to be derisive of Olivia, but is she looking at the whole package of the Great Danton there and thinking like, I could fix him? Probably a little. I can, I can make this work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So he loves, and it's like there's like secret, or like double and like triple agent and quadruple agent status going here. He fucking loves that. Like, no, Borden's gonna hire you specifically because you are my spy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, I think this is where they do the the first test with Tesla and the hat, and uh, nothing seems to happen. Mm. I had to say I just admire the hell out of this movie that there is no issue whatsoever following Colorado Springs and the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. The, the way they bounce off of each other just works perfectly. Definitely for a movie that will, you know, French braid timelines together in a, <laughs> in a given moment. And we get kind of get like the first half of a conversation here between. Uh, Bordner. I guess this is probably Freddie here and uh and Olivia where she goes to him and she tells him, you know, oh, he sent me to spy on you. Um, but then we, we we'll get the second half later where she's like, No, really, I'm I'm betraying him for real and this is how I'll prove it to you, you know. Well just the um I'm here to provide you what you've been missing. Me. Yeah. <laughs> um so I love that Borden knows that Hugh Jackman's been taking his bows under the stage. Um, he knows it's a double. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's just like, he sent me here to steal your secrets, but I'm actually here to offer you his. <laughs> and then I think this is where we go back to um, Angier and Cutter. I think this is where uh, Root has Root started. Once more. Root once more. Yeah. And and Cutter's just like, this always happens. You know, all we can do is like stop doing the trick um, because we can't, if we can't do a trick, we don't control. Has Borden gotten to root at this point, right? Cause like he finds him in the bar and starts manipulating I, him. I wonder if that's the start of, if he's just putting the germ in roots head. Well, cause that scene and, is after this scene, but seemingly it like happened earlier before. or something. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he just knows that'll be the snowball. that will turn into the avalanche or whatever. Um, Presumably yeah, so, because um, Olivia has told Borden about root. Right. Yeah, that's that's yeah. where where Borden, one of the Borden boys, fell in love with her and trusted her completely. Mm-hmm. That's because she took him straight to root. And then uh, Hugh Jackman's narration is just like Cutter was always surprised at how fast root turned bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I love that. Just the seduction by Borden here is just like you know I used to do a trick like that, but I realized I was so vulnerable because my double had so much power over me. And it's just like, hmm, I'm just going to drink my beer. Well, even before that, too, again, I love Root so much. He's like such a fascinating character in a different movie because it's like, hey, I know you. Aren't you the great Danton? And he's like, keep it to yourself. I would be mobbed <laughs> if my people found out. <laughs> uh, which the way they shoot Christian Bale initially there is fascinating because it's the way they shoot Fallon. Mm-hmm. Like you just hear his voice and see the back of his head for a little while. Um, and then we see the, the kind of the trick on wrong is... Uh, Root is like so drunk that he like waits to go up on stage and then he like kind of like hats on the ground already does this like cheesy like whoops you know 
Uh, and so then when they when they upstage him again, where this is where he removes the the Bing padding, back. yeah, yeah. Um, and he breaks his leg, just kind of like uh, what's yeah. his name in Dark Knight. Ah. Mm. Uh, but I love that they have Root like tied up and lowered from the ceiling. <laughs> Well, no, he looks at when he like hits the ground, right? Like hurts, breaks his leg. He looks over and Borden's just standing and just gives a little salute and then goes up. Mm-hmm. Great little moment. With this is new uh, look with his goatee. Kind of, kind of sinister, like the the fake goatee. Uh, but yeah, is this when, is this when they lower root down? And they yeah. have like the original transported man. Yeah, yeah, and he's just finally enjoying himself. Like he like knows how to work the crowd, <laughs> which I love the deep cut knowledge you would have to have of like rivalries between local magicians to like really get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, presumably they're just beef. like the talk of the town. Yeah. Magical beef. Mm-hmm. Um, so Michael Haynes, like setting Hugh Jackman's leg. He's wondering if Scarjo betrayed them. And it's like, it's almost like Hugh Jackman's just like, you know, I hadn't even considered that the spy <laughs> that I had sent with yeah. sensitive information into my enemy's camp. Huh? And that's where she gives him the cipher. And she's like, I have to take it back or I'll know I stole it. And so uh, instead, Andrew's like, no, I'll, I'll go like stage a break in or whatever. But you is can... this the scene where he like just goes like, I don't care about my wife. And yeah. She's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't care about my wife. I care about his secret. And it's like, wow. OK. Well, I, she's obviously committed to screwing him over, but it's like confirmation that she made the right choice. And I know that this is ableist and shitty, but I did laugh when she was like, you were supposed to meet me this afternoon. And he's just like knocks on his like brace and he's like it takes me a while to get places and i was like oh, that just seems up. like an excuse maybe well, you can hire a cab you can afford it yeah. you can if you can go see tesla you can afford it mm-hmm. also i didn't consider this when i first watched it i love the fact that he is lord cardlow because i'm thinking he didn't make enough money to afford this trip to america and this uh i brought a lot of money mm-hmm. well and he's know, I, he always is dressed super fancy too it's like clearly he yeah. has money yeah yeah, which I just took initially as like, oh, the success of being a magician, but no, no. Um, so he's going to go stage a break in at the workshop to cover for her having provided the diary. Um, yeah, and then you see oh, oh, Borden Fallon see it the next morning. When he leaves, she admits, she's like, you're right. I have fallen in love with Borden. And he's just like, well, then I know how hard this has been for you. <laughs> We really don't see them falling in love at all. It just, I mean, presumably Olivia like. Olivia and Borden or Olivia and Andrew? Olivia and Borden. Either, either really? Either. Yeah. I mean, I would argue, I don't know how much you could fit her more into it, but she's like the wasted element of this movie. I, I guess it's something where you can't see too much of that or else it might throw things off. Because. I don't really care for the Rebecca Hall character in this movie solely because the movie presents her as a victim. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I should like this character a lot, but for some reason I don't. Anyway. Um, yeah, so, so this they, is when we get this. We finally see the real, uh, the original transported man here um, with the, the Tesla trappings that uh, Borden has added to it. Which is just show. It's just mm-hmm. like sparks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so after the show... Borden and Fallon get in and it's like Borden knows he's going to be followed by Angier and he wants him to. So he's going to walk instead of taking their carriage. Hugh Jackman's going to follow. And then because Fallon can't, you know, stay on the sidelines, he's following Angier, not realizing that Angier's leading him into a trap, mm-hmm. 
which I love is just like faulty stairs. It's like a Looney Tunes cartoon. He <laughs> yeah. just falls in. Like I also painted a hole in a wall. Yeah. And he sh- um, shoots and then, through the uh, the thing and like clips Cutter and he's just like. Little Cutter is in his cast later. Yeah. Well, my number 11 moment in this movie is is Michael Caine yelling, saves me from cutting you an air hole. <laughs> Well, I feel like this is really where it's like, okay, things have escalated now. And you can tell, um, I guess this is uh, Albert here. It's just kind of like, like, what the hell? You know, like this is, he's not saying it, but in so many words, he's saying like, this has gone too far. You know, like this is, this is stupid. Like, why are we like putting people in danger for this? Yeah. So, I mean, then it's hardcore the next day out this outdoor cemetery. Um, he's just like, you know. I tried to get the secret out of Fallon, but he doesn't seem to talk very much. So write down your secret. He writes down the keyword. The keyword is the secret. And then he's just like, all right, where's Fallon? And he points at his freshly dug grave with a shovel in it. <laughs> and I love that he's just like, kind of casually, Christian Bale's like, is he still alive? Mm-hmm. And it's like, depends on how fast you dig. <laughs> yeah. And then I think the next scene is where Cutter is like, he's in the the sling and it's just like, hey, I can't follow your obsession anymore. It's a young man's game. But it's like, but you were willing to like kidnap this dude. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Until he got shot. Yeah. Until he got shot. Yeah. But he's just so giddy. He's like, I haven't even looked at this word until I came to see you, Michael Caine. And he shows him (laughs) Michael Caine's like the fuck is a Tesla. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't want to truck with any Elon Musk bullshit. Yeah. I wonder if Borden is like, man, he really just went all out on following up that Tesla clue. He like went all the way to the (laughs) States and spent a bunch of money. Well, isn't that in the isn't that in the notebook? Mm-hmm. Like he he knows that he's going to send him to America, basically. Right. So like Tesla is the key word, but mm-hmm. he makes him think that's also the entire method behind the trick. Misdirection, baby. That's that's mm-hmm. how it works. Yeah. Oh, this is um, this is the scene we were talking about earlier when uh, the dinner the dinner, this scene. dinner scene almost made my top moments because it's so awkward, and I don't know why either of the brothers thought this dinner was ever going to be a good idea. Yeah, Fallon's just like, oh, Jesus. I like how uh, Sarah kind of takes offense to Olivia calling him Freddy. She goes, Freddy? Yeah. yeah. Sarah, secrets all my life. Yeah, things aren't great in this marriage. No. Partially because there's three people in this marriage. Yeah, try not to bring your four, mistress four. to dinner with your wife. Maybe four people, I guess, but there's, there's fucking like there's four people in this marriage. Yeah. 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 Well, technically there's five people in this marriage because Robert Angier's in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe three is the line. <laughs> um yeah, so I don't know. This again, the Colorado Springs just having it to himself is cool. So the uh the Edison boys have started showing up. Mm-hmm. Um I feel like it's kind of played like they don't actually know where Tesla is yet, even though I think it's an open secret that he's up on the mountain. Um, and this is where we get kind of the second half of the scene where Olivia's gone to visit Borden, where she's not just pretend betraying him, she's really betraying him. And I, I believe well, this is also where the, the diary is just telling Andrew, like, yes, I, I screwed you. I knew the whole time. Power move. Mm-hmm. Wait, is this also the scene where they show him like hooking up with Olivia while he's like rolling his wedding ring across his yeah, fingers yeah. like a coin? Yeah. 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 Wow, dude. Yeah. That's, that's a move. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, she she points out to them the way she kind of sells them too is that your problem as a showman is that the audience can't tell that your illusions are better than Angier's. I think she says tricks, but as Job told me, mm-hmm. tricks are something a whore does for money. Illusions, illusions. Michael, yeah. Well, I do yeah. think maybe the reason that, that Freddie here is so taken with her is that she kind of 
she's she doesn't know that she's seen him and is a, a different person but the fact that she kind of sees the the work that he's putting in and like how hard it is to do tricks with you know one hand and whatnot like he appreciates that you know and i think that's that's why he's you know so attracted to olivia's because of that just seeing that that he does indeed have multitudes yeah mm-hmm. also he's probably enamored with her uh shaky english accent <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so he's just like, I mean, I love this part too, because you get Hugh Jackman reading all this in the journal and he's just like on the edge of his seat. It's a page turner. And he's like, Scarger didn't have to prove her love to me. Not, not to, not to Borden. I knew it the moment she led him to, to led me to Jerry Root. Uh, she proved to me when, uh, you know, she gave me this diary or she proved it to you. Um, but yeah, I think he acknowledges that like they knew they were going to send him to America because mm-hmm. he, because he thinks it's, you know, welcome back to your American homeland or whatever. And then uh, Andrew obviously gets mad and reading the diary and he goes to see what's up with his, uh, his, all, where all his money's gone. And I think this is where they do the test with the two cats. Is that right? With the, yeah. With the cat. Or the cat. Yeah. Yeah. When Tesla's just like, we're either going to teleport this cat or we're going to fry this cat. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a little leash that they like chain under the floor. With. Don't they say that it's like Mr. Alley's cat too? And he's just yeah, like, yeah. okay, here's my cat. Well, that's why he's like, you're responsible for what happens to this cat, Tesla. <laughs> well, the, the kind of great foreshadowing of the uh, the two cats attacking each other, you know, is, is mm-hmm. what will happen with Andrew later. He has to instantly kill the uh, like the double that he makes himself. But he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to, but... I mean, yeah. I like that there was a little revolver and one of the cats shot the other cat mm-hmm. just to be safe. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's just like, what the fuck are all these top hats doing out here? Why do you guys have a field full of top hats? Look exactly like my top hats. Yeah. I guess Tesla's, no one noticed that before. <laughs> yeah, seriously. They just don't walk that way. But Tesla's earlier line, it's like line shouldn't work as well as it does to me, but it does. He's like, the problem is exact science isn't an exact science. <laughs> Man, just watching all the Tesla experiments, like just flashbacks to grad school and just <laughs> failure experiment. Out, you know, I totally understood where Tesla was coming from. It's just like, like oh, we're going to do all these top hats. We just need exactly. to. That's exactly what my grad school experience is like. We just need to calibrate it so that the you know the double is showing up where you want it to. Yeah. So meanwhile, back at Borden's, uh, I'm sorry, you're gonna say something, Ellie? Is this the thing where he was like, you know, it ends with like, which one, which hat is mine? Yeah, they're all yeah. yours, yeah. And then uh, the next scene, I think, is uh, the one I was talking about earlier, where they had the big fight between Sarah and, and Albert here. Also, Sarah's or Freddie the actually. sauce. Yeah. Sarah is just drinking at like 8 a.m. in the morning or whatever. All right. Um, he goes to see Fallon at the, uh, like, uh, mer- what do we call this? Uh, merry-go-round, I guess. Um, yeah. What's the other word for that? Carousel? Carousel. Yeah. He goes to see Fallon and he, like, he hands, he, like, kind of gives him instructions. He's like, hey, could you, could you try to help out with Sarah? <laughs> Stop fucking up yeah. my marriage. Well, it's all baked in there too. Like, you know, the little lady wants to go to the zoo. I thought maybe you could do that. If not, I could do it tomorrow. And Sarah, could you fucking help me out here? Mm-hmm. I think it's the it's in this scene the, the before with the daughter that like Jess actually says, like, you promised we'll go to the zoo. And then he's just like, We did. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess we will, yeah. But I think I think he says something here, like he's like, she knows she knows something's wrong, you know, like he's talking to Fallon. Yeah. So then the scene the scene that I forgot about and appreciate so much more now that I know the secret is when Borden goes to see Olivia at her place and he doesn't like that. She calls him Freddie. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is he, Albert in this scene, right? This yeah. is Freddie. Yeah. In this scene, Cause he's like uncomfortable with her. And you kind of get a sense of 
her side of this relationship because she's like, I told you, when you're with me, you're with me. Leave your family at home where they belong. But uh, she's mentioned like, you know, I don't like found like hanging around. I don't trust that guy. And this is when he's just like, do you trust me? Then trust Fallon. She protects the things I care about. Yeah. Um, and then the meanwhile, Colorado Springs, they firebombed Tesla's compound. Yeah. He, he sees like Tesla's people like packing up and he's like, huh, that's weird. Yeah. Um, and the, I like the, I mean, just the little details of like the guy who runs the hotel, who's just like, I didn't feel the need to tell them about the spooky ass box that they <laughs> that got dropped off for you. Yeah. That just like massive monolith of a box there. It's so creepy. Um, and again, multiple time periods. We see Edison's men coming to burn down Tesla's compound. We see Tesla like bouncing with Andy Serkis. We see Hugh Jackman reading this note from Tesla. We see him like assembling the machine later. And I just, I kept wondering, like, especially in this movie, because this was this was Christopher and Jonathan Nolan. Like, they yeah. did adapt it themselves. But, like, did he write it this way? Or does he kind of discover this technique in the editing room to I think it was written this way. Because um, it took, like, five years, apparently, to write the script for this. Like, to define the mechanic. Because there, there's several times in this movie, this is one of them, where... Um, Angier gets inside the machine and we don't see what happens. You know, there's several points in this movie where we see the first half of a scene and then it's only later that we get to reveal of, of what happened mm-hmm. there. Well, it's telling though, because essentially the, the way the timeline works in this movie is Westworld season one. I guess somewhat. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's basically because you, you, except you have no idea what time is when, mm-hmm. when you're watching that episode or that show. Um, yeah, so Jackman's narration takes over. So he's like testing the machine. He's taking precautions, which involve just setting down a revolver. <laughs> and then I think after this is when Borden then gets to the end of Angier's diary and he's, he's been played too. Yeah. Think yes, about like Borden. you're sitting in prison mm-hmm. for my murder. Yeah, yeah. And that oh, that's awesome. what kind of motivates him to meet with Owens and be like, you know, here's here's my tricks, but not the procedures. I'll give you those. I want to see my daughter. He's like, he's like, I know that diary is fake. And Roger Reese is like, nah, no, it's totally accurate. We've compared handwritings. Yeah. Um, oh, he's like kind of, I'm fascinated by Owens because later on when he's just like, I'm sorry, Cutter, it'd be out of the question for you to talk to Lord Cudlow. That said, when you're dropping off the box, I can't stop you from lingering. <laughs> <laughs> this is when we get the really big blowout fight between, uh, it would be Freddie here and Sarah and, you see Fallon come over to comfort Jess, the daughter there, because obviously that's his I've daughter. always wondered from the daughter's perspective, from Jess's perspective, like, what is she picking up on? Is she, like, picking up on, like, dad vibes from Fallon mm-hmm. when it's actually her dad? Yeah, yeah, I wonder. And that kid's going to need therapy when she's older. Yes. <laughs> see, I feel like they both probably love the daughter as if, I feel like they probably, that's probably the one but, thing but they But in a share. different way, though, you know, and like sure your daughter versus your niece, yeah. right? Don't they make a comment about how they don't really know which one is the father? I don't think they do. Life? No, I, no, I'm pretty sure they know. I'm pretty sure they know the surviving twin is definitely the father. Yeah. He's the one who loves Sarah. I'm going to hold on to this headcanon. Yeah, I, I think you <laughs> might be misremembering there. I'm going to hold on to this headcanon. Mm-hmm. So hard. I don't think it was like Russian roulette. There's like oh, we don't know which one it was. <laughs> it's like. uh uh, the couple in Arrested Development where they just like both went into a turkey baster and they're like, we don't know which one's the father. Yeah. And, um, and then just this pretty kind of haunting scene where Sarah goes to the workshop and is just kind of looking around, looks at some rope and then, oh, she hung herself. 
Yeah. Um, but also when you see whichever of the brothers it is, just like, you think oh, I can live like this? Mm-hmm. You think I bloody enjoy living like this? Uh, I mean, it's definitely like, I mean, she says she like, she hates herself because she knows that like what they are doing, right? Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's heavily implied she's figured out that they're twins, right? Or that there's there's two people or something. Yeah, she she knows there's something like she's not always talking to her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, which I would think there'd be great ways that you could just you could just trick somebody. Oh, remember how a couple of minutes ago you said we were going to go to this place, and you're like, oh yeah, we're going to go to that place, and it's like that's not what you said a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> um, but I love the way that the the editing though, where she's just kind of like running her fingers over the rope, and then we cut to like the startled birds in the birdcage, yeah. and then she's just swinging. That scene's always hard to watch. Yeah, yeah. And kind of ironic in that Freddie will die the same way later. I felt like I was going to hate his final line. Oh, it's now great. That I think about that it. That almost but made it my is top great. moments, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, just telling the, telling the executioner, are you watching closely? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, Cutter gets the uh, the little card at the bottom of his pint there telling him to go to this address and it's like some old burned out theater that Andrew's uh, in with a bunch of blind stagehands that he somehow found and hired to set up his, his new illusion here. Nice touch. Mm-hmm. Nice touch. Um, so, you know, obsession's a young man's game. He, someone, someone once told him that he wants to get in and get out. So um, he's going to do a hundred shows, no more, no less five nights a week. Um, wants Michael Caine up front, not backstage for this one, mm-hmm. which it's like, come on, Michael Caine, that should be a, a signal of something. They um, they do the trick and then like rehearsals and then the the guy who's watching it is just like you'll forgive me it's been quite a while since I've seen real magic. <laughs> yeah, so that's fascinating to me because he seems haunted by something, <laughs> and I'm just like, what is this? Because he's just like, it was many years ago when I and Hugh Jackman's like, uh, back to me. <laughs> well, I like uh, how he says like disguise it, give them enough reason to doubt it, which yeah. like is true because otherwise it's it's almost too good of a trick. Yeah. So Christian Bale then goes out to lunch with ScarJo. He's like sullen, more sullen than usual. And she's just like, you haven't talked about your dead wife at all. And he's like, why would I talk about her with you? <laughs> uh, I think Olivia mentioned that like Sarah asked to meet her like yeah. what, the day before mm-hmm. she hung herself. And like, she's too, too scared to go. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess it's implied that Sarah was going to tell her. Like what she knew. Yeah, she's like, Sarah was going to tell me something about you. What do you think she was going to tell me? Uh, and he's like, well, the truth is I never loved Sarah. And she's like, yes, you did. You were married. You had a child. And he's like, only part of me. Okay. <laughs> well, she, only part. She has a line. It's inhuman to be so cold. Yeah. This is the last we see of Olivia, right? Like she managed to I th- get out. I think so. Unscathed. I think she's she, like, yeah, I don't want to be around you anymore. <laughs> it's not her last line, but. When she points out that Hugh, she's point, she's leaving. She tells him Hugh Jackman's back after two years. He's got some great new trick. You should go see him. The two of you deserve each other. And he's like stunned. And I love that she's just like, you should see the look on your face. <laughs> uh, so, so Ackerman convinces W. Morgan Shepard to boot the Russian ballet. Hundred shows. Um, do this. And I love this this move. Just uh, and this is what you'll be charging. <laughs> Good day. It's not just that trick, right? That's just the ending trick. Well, yeah, it's just the ending. He okay. he shows. It seems like they do some sort of trick with the water tank. Um, oh, because they say like, oh, it's, it was brought on mm-hmm. stage for the first trick. 
Um, my question dark. is, why do they buy 100 water tanks? I would just buy one water tank and empty it every night. Seriously, yeah. Those <laughs> things can't be that cheap. Well, it's not a goldfish, you guys. You can't just flush your dead Hugh Jackman down the toilet. You'd think they'd just be taking him to like a crematorium a every night or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like the Thames just has a new Hugh Jackman <laughs> floating in it every morning. <laughs> I mean, what's harder, storing 100 water tanks of drowned here's, corpses in them or just here's what you, know, you do. digging a you, mass grave? You put them in a brown paper bag, you put it in the fridge, and you write on it, <laughs> dead Hugh Jackman, do not open. <laughs> but yeah, really. His, it's, it's almost too theatrical to like have all those extra tanks. He's, but he's, he's on the darkest trip of all. I mean, this is darker than Spencer Hastings will ever go. He is fetishizing all of the worst hits of his life. Because, I mean, the water tank, mm-hmm. he, he's just revisiting pain. Well, he has, like, I mean, a, a quick flash it. of the, like, yeah. Yeah, and you can see because he is, like, not the greatest showman anymore. He's, like, super reserved and sullen in his, like, stage persona. Yeah, or he's um, just like, this isn't magic. This is science. This is the future. Well, even the water tank trick, when he actually tells the audience that the young lady who taught me this trick actually died performing it, like, it's like, oh, this kind of show, huh? Cool. Cool. I mean, it's almost like a wrestling thing. It's like he lost in a wrestling match to, to Borden a few years earlier. And this is his new character. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm the Undertaker. Welcome. Um, so does the original always die? Is the, like, if you were track, if you're like from his point of view, his mind, he always dies. Yep. Right. Then his consciousness gets transported into the copy. But I guess the copy right, so- would also feel like the original too. But yeah, but like the, if you're just like looking for a single individual, mm-hmm, like right. he, he dies every night. Yeah, the memory that the copy doesn't have is the memory of death. Yes, that's the that's the last thing that 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 gets cut off. Um, so I think he says in the end, like I wasn't sure if it was random because he says in the end when he he says when he walks in, he never knows if he's going to be the man in the tank or the man getting the applause. Which is, yeah, you do. But and I was like, yeah, I'm thinking you're, you walk in, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so ship of Theseus is complicated. Uh, Doctor Who did a version of it, which is much more simple, which is you have a broom and you replace the brush. And then years later, you replace the handle and then you replace the brush and you replace the handle. It's like, it's it's the same broom. No, but it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Borden has gone to watch a show and he does spot, like there's this very quick shot of the uh, trap door closing after uh, he disappears there. Yeah, you can tell the twins at this point, right? It's like, the twin who's like obsessed with trying to figure out the trick is Freddie. Mm-hmm. And the other one as Fallon is, as we can assume is Albert. So the one that talks the other out of like, all right, it's done. We're not going after it anymore. Yeah, that's the beef is settled. Leave it alone. But he's still, he's still the one who goes and. Well, no, no Fred, Freddie's the, the one who goes. We see that we see them both in each of the scenes. We see the one who's saying like, leave it alone, leave it alone is um, Albert. Mm-hmm. Telling well, Freddie to leave it alone. I like that. Um, so Christian Bale notices that he doesn't have to switch. He gets to take his bow. He gets to get the, the full glory of the audience. He's literally risen above them all. Um, but also Hugh Jackman completely steals and bastardizes like Tesla's warning. And he's just like, man's reach <laughs> exceeds his imagination. Um, yeah. Well, look, but I love it. I love what they're trying to figure it out, though, because he's just like he's only doing 100 performances. Why is he only doing 100 so performances? I think in that scene, I think that is Freddie 
and yeah, Albert is pretty, the is yeah. as Fallon, and then because he's wearing a different outfit he's, later when he's he's obsessed mm-hmm. with figuring out the trick. He's like, yeah, and I think why later, can't you outthink yeah. him? And later when we're like when he says we're done, mm-hmm. that's Albert as Alfred. Okay. Yeah. I like that they switched makeup completely to be alone in a room together. Because <laughs> you don't see, when he's drawing the, the machine, you don't see Fallon's left hand in that scene because it's under the table, which I think is really interesting. Mm. Um, but yeah, as they're trying to figure out, like, does the method of the trick dictate only 100 performances? It's like, well, maybe. Maybe he got a good deal on 100 yeah. water tanks. Well, and like, why why the blind stage hands? Why Every night they do the same thing. They like take this, you know... Uh, device somewhere else yeah james didn't you send me an article years ago of like a pendulette thing where like he met some contemporary magician who did a, a trick that like astounded him uh it was a pickpocket uh, but it was like he he put something into pendulette's pocket earlier well no what the what the trick was and there was a, it was just like a new york or atlantic article so I mean, it's a pretty good article where um the, the guy's like he's a pickpocket which is i guess like looked down on in the magician community because it's i don't know like not as cool or, or i don't know it's the uh matt damon of magical tricks yeah um but he he they're like it's pendulette's meeting with this pickpocket and they're like oh come on like impress me pickpocket something and it, it was something where like the pickpocket's like okay well go ahead and write your name down on a piece of paper and so pendulette pulls a pen out of his pocket to write it down and the uh the the ink like the pen part has been removed from the pen you know and pendulette realizes that he's done that and he's just like fuck you hmm. Hmm. um yeah so they see them like transporting out like the tied up covered water tanks each night with the blind stage hands which must take forever again just reuse the water tank make your life so much easier invest in an oven <laughs> Yeah, so he's just like, what the hell is going on there? Um, well, then so we, we kind of see the the final performance here. Is uh, Freddie just has to know, so he goes down backstage. I had to wonder, is this number one hundred? I don't think so. Because is yeah, the one hundred thing? Is the one hundred thing where he's just thinking like, I guarantee that within one hundred performances, Borden will have to interfere. <laughs> Five, maybe he won't like, come. I always looked at it as a hundred was like him bargaining with his conscience. Like I am willing to do this a hundred times, no more. Although I guess you have to wonder how did Angier know that like, now's the time I don't come back out and bust my, uh, my rival. Maybe he like knew that Borden was there. He finally figured out how to like recognize him in the audience or something. I mean, here's how you recognize him. You just call for a volunteer on stage. It's probably going to be Borden (laughs) knowing your luck, but, uh, I mean, like, basically, it's 20 weeks. It's like half a year of of doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, James, could you do it? Could you kill yourself? Uh, that's pretty rough. I mean, it's, you know, philosophically, you are going to suddenly appear right before the act happens and think you're the same person. Um, what if it's just you from the future, too? What do you mean? Either way. What if it's and what if it's not even just like a double, like you know, like in a magical Tesla way, but like just like you from the future shows up? And what? I have to kill them? Would you? Could there be know. two James? I don't I wouldn't want to mess with any timelines, you know. Hmm. I would have to kill myself hmm. because if I don't, I might fall so in love with myself. You'd be the, the the guy with the revolver sitting right there just in case. It's better than the alternative, man. Mm-hmm. Um 
So yeah, so Hugh Jackman falls into his water tank, which is right underneath the uh, the thing, um, and there's no key, and Bale's like trying to rescue him. And I like that in the theater, it's like dead silence. You can hear him screaming <laughs> yeah. from under the stage. Maybe that's Everyone's what. Wondering what the hell is going on. Maybe that's yeah. what convinced uh, Andrew not to pop back out. He's like, oh, never mind. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of sweet when you're just like, well, I've only got like 300 witnesses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this guy killing my murder. I guess this is the night. <laughs> and then this uh, is where uh, Lord Cordlow himself goes to visit uh, Borden in jail with the daughter. Mm-hmm. And I like how he's just like, there's this kind of like sudden realization. He's just like, hey, man, they're going to kill me. Like, are you seriously this, this as far as you're willing to go? And then he starts yelling for the guards like, hey, that's the guy I was supposed to kill. And like, nobody will listen to him. But but the Fallon thing, the way they shoot Fallon, which has been so weird for the movie, you've acclimated to this point mm-hmm. where you don't even care that we're like looking at uh, Jess and like like the the body of Lord Cordlow, and then we just pan up and it's just like boom, bitch. Mm-hmm. Guess who? <laughs> um, yeah, it's great. Um, so he's gonna be hung. Then uh, Cutter so the Cutter warehouse. goes to meet uh, Lord Cordlow here. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I've been I feel working. like this, like he's, he switches sides, right? Once he finds out about Jess and how the daughter's involved. Right. Well, I mean, you have to love, though, that, that our hero, or what we think has been our hero, because I mean, I think Hugh Jackman's carried all the trappings of the hero yeah. of the story, mm-hmm. or, or, or as you'll hear in Tenet many times, the protagonist, mm-hmm. um, to find out that, like, no, this is not the protagonist. Like, like he's been the antagonist the whole time. Um, yeah, and so we get the replay though. No one cares about the man in the box. The when the man who disappears, we only care about the one who comes back out. And then we're kind of cross cutting between uh, Cutter going to visit Angier as, with his uh, prestige materials there, along with uh, the execution of Borden here, which is pretty brutal. Well, the final goodbye of like Fallon and Borden, where he's just like, "You go and live your life in full now. You here? Mm-hmm. You live for the both of us." And he tosses the red ball, uh, and then you see. Like the one close up of Fallon, which I feel like is on some level kind of in like a cloud atlas makeup way, where like I think you're supposed to register something is recognizable about this face. I think you can tell on like second and subsequent viewings once you know, but I feel like first time you might but, not. But maybe not consciously, but some part but yeah, of you, yeah. yeah. And he says softly goodbye. Um, so Michael Caine's just like, all right, here's what we're going to do we're going to kidnap your daughter. Which he does quite easily, by the way. Lord Carlo's staff is a joke. I mean, presumably he's just going to tell the daughter, like, hey, I'm going to take you to your father. Yeah. Uh, and I'll show you a dead bird on the way. So, yeah, the uh, execution scene, abracadabra. Love it. As far as the uh, last words them... go for a magician, that, that sounds right. I do want him to go back and terrorize that one guard, though. Because he says to the guard... Yeah, yeah, he says to the guard. So I feel like that's waste of material if you don't go back like five years later and be like, surprise. <laughs> well, there's this really great cut where it cuts from him being hung to the ball bouncing up to Angier here. It's almost as though the the one who's executed drops the ball and it bounces right up to him here. Yeah, And then Angier gets shot and we see, oh, is that Fallon? No, it is not. No. Because he's wearing... Before this... Cutter has his like it was agony mm-hmm. line right yeah, yeah. he leaves yeah and so, I think um, 
Albert here, he's like wearing Cutter's outfit. Like he has like the hat on and whatnot, but he not the makeup. Well, so when Cutter Cutter helped Angier get the last tank in the, the warehouse mm-hmm. or whatever, or underneath the old decrepit theater, and he passes what you thought was Fallon, Fallon on the yeah. way out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love that the uh uh Andrew's been gut shot. He sees who's shot him, and he's just like, Oh, the movie's told me two hundred times, a brother, a twin, <laughs> you were fouling the whole time. And he's like, Nah, we switched. But yeah, it's like he finally accepts what everyone has been telling him. Yeah, pretty much every single character in this movie tells him it's yeah. twin. Well, and even he has this like theatrical monologue about it. It was just to see the faces on the children. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, delight yeah. um yeah all the stuff where like where it's like these flashbacks showing like them doing their makeup together and switching wigs and knocking on the door y- yeah how they did yeah. the switch the, he the loved fingers Olivia. i love sarah yeah. we had half a life i suppose which made me flashback to there's a bit in an episode of seinfeld where um George is going to help Jerry with some some tasks in his life when his in his, his relationship, and Jerry's just like thinking it over, and he's like, "So you're saying that each of us only has to be half a man? That sounds about right." <laughs> so he, the brother is the one who cuts the fingers off. Like I don't know, would you want to do that to yourself or just let somebody else do it? I think this is more. I of a mean, I feel things. like I would just not put myself <laughs> in the situation in the first place, but <laughs> yeah. Well, the first the first movie scene question: Could you do this or not? Is the guy in Jack Reacher who has to bite his own fingers off? Yes. Could you do that? <laughs> then could you have somebody else chop your own fingers off? But yeah, like Christian Bale is just like, look, I don't give a shit about about your trick, your your secret. Like you don't know anything about sacrifice. And this one, Hugh Jackman's just like, look around. <laughs> yeah, and then we we get the other half to the scene of what happens when he uses a machine for the first time and it makes a double of them that he immediately shoots, even though the other one's like, no, wait, stop. Yeah. Which is interesting. Cause I would think you're going into that thinking I'm going to have to shoot the other me. And then when you find out that you are the other me, mm-hmm. you're just like, maybe I can talk myself out of it. Cause all um, he really would have needed to do is the trick. Use the machine once now he has a double. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. You can do this every time, but but he couldn't. Yeah. yeah. I always thought that he grabbed the revolver because in case the machine doesn't work and something goes like it, horribly it wrong. It makes some like sort of freakish. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought his revolver was just like a, but I guess he just like panic and shoots his double. But yeah, that's a good point. He could have just made himself a twin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, then, but then, I mean, I don't know. Like, obviously going forward, you would be two different people. Yeah. You'd be two different people with the same background. Um, but how do you decide which of us? Because it's not like a shitty like multiplicity. I mean, they could just thing. trade, you know, like, like it turns. Albert so and simple. Freddie do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they did. Yeah. We could each just be half a man. We could go uh, uh, switch off each night of ScarJo <laughs> or whatever. But yeah, not so she's taking their calls. Andrew dies, and then we cut. And as uh, Alfred's walking away here, or Albert, Albert uh, we get the scene from the start of the movie where Michael Caine's doing the trick for Jess there um, and revealing the bird. And then there's uh, Albert, like he walks in and she runs over to him with the red ball and everything. And it's like, okay, we're all even now. I like that Christian Bale is like one of his like final things like Hugh Jackman is just like, you did terrible things <laughs> for nothing. 
and then we finally get the the last reveal, the last shot of the movie after all the hats that we flash back to. It's this burning prestige materials, and then all the tanks, and then one of them is, has a Hugh Jackman in it. Because of course, you're not really looking. Mm-hmm. You don't really want to find out. You want to be fooled. Great movie. And then I completely forgot about Tom York playing at the end. It's weird. Oh yeah, like the is it a Radiohead song or just a Tom York song? It's just Tom York. Okay. I mean, because it's 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 a very modern film. It's shot in a very modern way. Um, even though it takes place in like Victorian England for most of it. Mm-hmm. It feels weird then when you have like the bleep boops yeah. and the Tom York of it all. Yeah, true. All right. Well, any complaints about the movie? It's kind of hard to think of any. Um, I mean, the only thing that I can really think of is the characterizations of all the females, all the women in this movie aren't great. And I know that's a reoccurring Christopher Nolan issue that he has of a lot of his movies. Um, but yeah, I mean, like Olivia and Sarah all just kind of exist. And even Julia just kind of exists as plot devices and motivation for the men in the movie. Um, but honestly, besides that, it's a, I mean, it's almost perfect movie in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we just don't really know why. Olivia and Angie are falling in love or why she's falling in love with Freddie. It's just, we're just told like, Oh yeah, they're in love. And they're like, okay. I, I mean, I think that the thing of what they're doing, cause my, my one change other than I'll go to my two changes real quick. Cause I'm going to go sure. back to, to Scar Joe. Um, I think the score in this movie is fine. It's the same guy who did insomnia memento. I kind of would be curious to see the version of like a big, what we now know is a Christopher Nolan score. <laughs> Or even Ludwig you know, Jorensen. Mm-hmm. Like, I would be kind of curious because um, that was very weird about Tenet. I've been listening to that soundtrack for months and then to see the actual movie was weird. Mm. But uh, I think what they're trying to do with ScarJo is they're trying to say, like, through her actions, this is the character. She's clearly attracted to, like, these driven maniacs. Right. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know how you squeeze more of her in, but that would be the thing I would change. Because you have Scarlett Johansson here. You would think you would do more with her. Um, yeah. What about you guys? Would you change something? It's really hard for me to think of one particular change. I mean, I suppose you could put more scenes in between Olivia and Freddie, although I wonder if he'd risk maybe giving things away if you had too much of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my change would be along some something those lines, like, you know, give more characterization or motivations to the woman in this movie so at least we know why they're attracted to, the, to these men. Um, I know I go back and forth on whether or not Sarah's ending should be the way it ends. I mean, it's always a really hard scene to watch, but you know, once you really, I feel like it does. she takes all the, the, the brunt of what they've been doing. You yeah. Know? I guess it's just for her sake, but then I guess, you know, having that in the movie does help with the, the whole idea of like sacrifice and all that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of go back and forth on that. Yeah. All right. Well, power rankings, I've got 10. I've got 10. I do as well. All right. Well, Allie, so, why don't you take it and start us off here? All right. Uh, number 10, I have Julia, <laughs> Angier's first wife. I mean, she's down at the bottom here just because she isn't in the movie a whole lot. And again, like she just kind of exists to die in that trick and then kind of kick off the whole rivalry between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have... <laughs> This is shitty. I have Rebecca Hall as Sarah Borden at number 10. Um, I feel bad because, again, I just I think this character, 
is what the character is, but the way she's portrayed as this like victim the whole time. I think you know it's tragic from the very moment they meet. Um, and it's always hard for me to watch that, especially knowing how it ends. Yeah, I also have Julia at number 10. Just um, she's not in it a ton. I mean, I, it's she's an interesting character that obviously is just like that's not what the movie's about. So she's got to go. All right. Uh, number nine is where I have Sarah. Again, just for similar reasons where uh, it just feels so bad for her in this movie, but she doesn't seem to do much besides just kind of get the brunt end of this entire marriage and then the plot and all that. Uh, number nine is where I have Roger Reese's Owens, the mm-hmm. solicitor for Lord Cordlow, because um, he's great. I love him and everything. But also there's the tricky as fuck British legal system and what the hell the difference between a, a solicitor and a barrister is and I don't care to know but yeah uh, see, I have uh, Gerald Root at number 9 there yeah, the actor double they hire for Angier he's a lot of fun but a drunk oh I forgot to put him on my list wow <laughs> I, I thought God you were going to have it. like number 2 or something did you, yeah, did you just say that he was <laughs> yes. I have I up there it's um, weird when I do my rankings the later and then I, I think like, oh yeah, I finished my rankings last night. And it's like, clearly I didn't. Yeah. Uh, number eight, mm-hmm. yeah. I had uh, Andy Serkis as Mr. Alley. Uh, small role, but, you know, for a side character, pretty decent job giving him a personality. Definitely. Uh, eight is where I have Piper Parabo as Julia McCullough. Like she is so full of life. I mean, unfortunately, not for long. She has to be to embody like this haunted memory that Andrew will carry for her. But I, I, like you said, one of you said having her in another movie would be great. Um, I don't know. She's, she's wonderful. I, I feel like I shocked that the only other movie I've seen of her is like Looper. Cause I haven't seen Coyote Ugly. I don't really know other Piper Parabo movies, but it seems like we slept on her career. Yeah. Let's see. Number seven or no, number eight. Um, I have Sarah at number eight there very tragic character in a lot of ways. I don't know. I'm not the, like the biggest Rebecca Hall fan, but I thought she was fine in this. Um, yeah. Rough, rough ending for her. Is she the other woman with Scarlett Johansson and Vicky Cristina Barcelona? I think so. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, number seven is where I have Olivia. Um, of all the women in the movie, she probably makes out the best. Um, in terms of her characterization and where her story ends up. Um, yeah, that's where I have her. Yeah, same seven I have Olivia because is she limited? Does she get to be the star? No, but she gets to have the most fun of all the women. Like she gets to be, I mean, there's a, there's a kind of a uh, Scarlett Johansson, like, like femme fatale vibe to her, you know, like there's something a little bit here, what she gets to access later is Black Widow. I mean, I don't know. I think having her play a normal person is is where other movies go wrong. <laughs> uh, James? Uh, let's see. We're at number seven. This is where I have uh, Mr. Alley, Tesla's assistant. He's just a fun character. and Yeah, I really think that Andy Serkis should... I mean, his mocap stuff is fine, but like, I, I enjoy his actual physical presence as like a character actor a lot more, I think. I like, I don't know, at least those, those Planet of the Apes movies, I know that like people really praise him for and like his Caesar character. I 
was, I don't know, it was fine, but I was just like, I'd rather see you as a character actor than just being this like brooding ape. My problem is, is whenever I watch like behind the scenes clips, trying to tell me why these people are so especially brilliant, so singularly brilliant in what they're doing in mocap. I always see that like the body movement is different. This gesture is different. This thing is different. Mm -hmm. And I'm always like, so what you're saying is that this performance is a collaboration. You know, it's not to take away from like Andy Serkis as Caesar in those Planet of the Apes movie or take away from him as like Snoke, but like it's a collaboration. Like he's, he's part of that presence. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Where are we at? Number seven or no, number six. Six. Uh, Number six is where I have Root. Uh, Really fun character, drunk, out of work actor. Um, And again, that scene where Borden is manipulating him is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. And just seeing him, seeing his eyes that he's realized that he can seize power. And then he does. Mm -hmm. It's so fun. Uh, Six is where I have Andy Serkis as Ali. Um, I just love it. But like, again, the moment in this watch that I appreciated is he's just gone on on his rant about like the great Danton. Holy shit. I love you, man. What are you doing here? And then Dan Hall's like, never mind that. I'm here to, I'm here to see Tesla. And the way he's just like, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's see. My number six, actually, maybe controversially is where I have Angier. Um, it's a big presence in the movie, but he just turns into such an asshole by the end of it. So rank him down a little bit. Hmm. I think the the real damning line for him is when he says, I don't care about my wife. I care about a secret. It's just like, okay, well, you've definitely crossed over to a bad place. I feel like, I don't know. I would, he's good. He's got the right level of hammy and, and like driven, but I'd be kind of curious to see another actor try this role too. It's hard for me to imagine. Well, I know Josh Hartnett was like up for that role, which I would not have. That's wanted. not. Yeah. That's not the direction I'm looking in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not yeah. at all. Oh my god. Yeah, I know. I just I feel like uh, Nolan very politely is just like, "Hey, Josh, well, just stop." Apparently, Josh Hartnett turned down the role of Batman. Yeah, and so and then he tried to come back and be like, "Hey, I'll do the Prestige," and Nolan is like, "No thanks." In 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 Nolan's Batman. Yeah, and Nolan's Batman. Because I know he also turned down one of them for the Wolfgang Peterson Batman versus Superman. I I, I can only assume that that was something like Warner Brothers really wanted him to be Batman for some reason. At a certain point, you got to think that Josh Hartnett's agent was like, who the fuck do you think you are? Yeah, really. Uh, Oh, you got to toast his career now, right? Mm -hmm. All right, where are we at? Number five? Number five. Number five is where I have... Angier. Uh, I think it's a great performance by Hugh Jackman, but yeah, like you say, he just becomes a huge asshole by the end. And, and like part of the reason why I love this movie is like the ending is just so satisfying, where like, you know, he kind of gets his comeuppance by getting shot surrounded by all his dead clones at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. I have Robert Angier slash the great Dantown slash Lord Cudlow there. Um, I kind of love that he's our protagonist that becomes the villain. Like, like I, I always think that that's kind of an interesting way to not just have Michael Caine tell you that obsession is bad, but like really drag your audience down that rabbit hole slash toilet. Um, yeah. And, and just the fact that they make Borden the good guy at the end or one of the Borden boys. 
It's great. Uh, so mine are five. That's where I have Olivia. I've uh, I've always been a fan of Scarlett Johansson acting wise, at least not maybe not like her personal life. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I think she doesn't have a ton to work with, but she comes across much more strongly than Sarah or Julia here. Um, and yeah, she. The, the only demerit with her, I think, is that, like, we just we're told that, like, she's fallen in love with Borden, and it's just like, okay, I guess so. <laughs> hmm. All right. Number four is where I have Freddie, which is what we've been mm-hmm. branding as the more brash twin. Um, yeah, of the, of the twins, when you can tell the difference, I definitely would identify with uh, Albert more. Uh, you know, at the very end, Albert just tells him to leave it. We're done. And then he just has to go and figure out. And that's how he gets himself on at the end. Um, kind of frustrating. But yeah, I have him down there. So uh, is this something you both did? Did you both split up the twins? Yeah, obviously. Yes. Okay. Yeah, they're well, two different people. Then I need I need 100 slots because I'm going to rank every single dead Robert Angier. <laughs> um, my number four is this is where I, I, will, I will make an on the on the field call here or whatever i don't know it's an audible cool um i had the machine here Mm. i'll make it the machine slash jerry root (laughs) i fucking love that guy (laughs) i've played caesar i've played faust (laughs) you would drink too if you knew the world as such as i do oh it's yeah the line like surely i can play you or something like that (laughs) yeah well i mean like there's almost something where in one of the scenes I think it's the first one where he shows up like remade as Angier. I was kind of like, is Jackman wearing a fake nose here? Is it just like a subtle fake nose? There's something about him where he, he, it's just a little touch, but I was like, almost like, I, I kind of feel like Hugh Jackman's somebody else here for a moment. Well, I mean, we, we talked a lot about Christian Bale and his kind of subtle performances that give Hugh Jackman some credit there for playing a version of himself that just is a little off, a little like, kind of drunk and swaggery, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, my number four is where I have Cutter. Um, fun character, questionable morality, just the fact that he's willing to kidnap somebody, you know, <laughs> that seems a little far to me, but it, it almost seems is like it? there was nobody else in Angier's sphere that could assist with that so that he he needed, they needed another character to be there. And so it's like, okay, Cutter, you'll help with this. Uh, number three? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number three is where I have Tesla. Mm. Uh, just really fun performance by David Bowie. Love is like very calm, very laid back, right? Like he's described as this wizard, but he's not, you know, waving his hands around and, you know, being all grand or anything. He's, just, you know, very subtle, but still very dramatic. Hence, you know, entering with the lightning. Um, yeah, just a really fun character. Not wearing a robe with stars and moons <laughs> on it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, three is where I have Cutter. Um, on this particular rewatch too, I, I loved Michael Caine in this movie even more um, because he, I mean, I don't know, kind of interesting counterpoint to what James just said. I think he almost is the morality <laughs> of the movie yeah. because it's like the tides. It comes and goes depending on how you're perceiving things. Um, and he, he makes a very interesting choice on who he, who he backs at the end. So and just the uh, now I don't have to <laughs> carve you an air hole or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so three is where I have Freddie Frederick Borden there. He um, he's you can appreciate the predicament that he's in, but yeah, he does bring a lot of it on himself. 
I kind of wonder, like, was either of them ever like, we have to tell, and the other was like, no, I don't want to, you know, like, was was that ever a disagreement, or were they both just all in the whole time? Like, this is, we can just never reveal Did they ever this. have an exit strategy? Yeah. Like, you know, at this point, we'll stop being one person. Mm-hmm. I, I think the movie's brilliant because we have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, number two? Yep. Um, my number two is where I have Cutter. I love how the movie starts with his narration. Um, wait, is it his narration? Yeah. Where he's talking about the trick? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he backs Angier throughout most of the movie, but I love how, you know, after he sees that the daughter's involved, he kind of has a morality moment and switches to Borden at the end. And I mean, again, we talked about this before. This is probably Michael Caine's best Chris Nolan role. Um, Yeah, it's really fun to see him in like this. Yeah. Um, Number two, I have... So I, I diverged from you guys. Um, I incepted myself here. I have Christian Bale as whoever he's playing, whenever he's playing them. Because he's, you know, playing two characters, but he's kind of playing three characters because he's playing the two characters, playing one character. Well, he's playing Fallon, too. Yeah. Well, he's playing four characters mm-hmm. then. Um, or as as uh, Robert Downey Jr. says, I'm the dude playing the dude who's playing the dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a very fascinating performance for him. I don't think it's it's super flashy, but I think he has to carry a lot on his shoulders that you don't realize. And I think it's perfect casting. Yeah, I've got Tesla number two. Um, just a really fun character. It's it's a perfect little supporting role that David Bowie just comes in and completely kills. You get just enough of him. He's got the accent and he just seems so mysterious and all his dialogue's great. Just everything about that character is a ton of fun. All right. And number one is where I have Albert, the more reserved, cautious twin. I love how he gets, you know, his happy ending. He's reunited with his daughter at the end. Um, Of the two twins, I definitely identify with Albert more. Um, So it was great to see that he ended up, you know, I mean, he lost his brother, but got his kid at the end. Hmm. Gets to live a full life now. Mm -hmm. Um, Number one. If you've been doing the math, I have Tesla. Um, it's a small role. I think he's brilliant. Um, also, I'm a huge David Bowie fan. And I think um, true fans of, you know, existence will look back that uh, David Bowie's death was when all this went wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of it was seriously, seriously wrong before. But like, this is when we really entered the darkest timeline. Um, so, yeah, now we're suffering because he's not here. All right. Well, that was a prestige. Um, there's some extra stuff we would like to talk about as far as uh, Tenet and some spoilers and some trouble spoilers as well. Uh, so we're going to blow a spoiler horn um, for the movie Tenet and for the the books. My name is Trouble and Trouble Always Finds Me. So if you've not read either of those books, now is the time to bow out. But we definitely have some stuff to talk there as well. <laughs> Okay, so Trouble and Tenet, what do we want to talk about first? I mean, they're kind of the same thing, right? <laughs> uh, we can talk about Tenet first, I guess. So, Micro, it sounds like you enjoyed Tenet. I was kind of lukewarm on it, I guess I would say. I mean, so I was frustrated at the beginning when, like a video game, our protagonist goes from person to person to person who's just like here's part of the plot 
go to this person, get more of the plot. I found it just baffling in like the first like 30 minutes to hour of this movie. I was just yeah. So, I mean, I don't know where you guys watched it. Um, there's this really, there's a small theater near my house and I right called there. ahead to make sure there was no one else who <laughs> had bought tickets. So I got the entire theater to myself to be safe. Nice. Um, this, I don't, I don't know if you, if you, what copies you watched, but the sound mixing in the theaters was absolutely atrocious. That's like a known um, thing now though, right? Like it's just, it was the point where I was, cause I, I think I'm a pretty good movie watcher, right? Like I pick up on details. I can follow things. 30 minutes into the movie, I was sitting there thinking, I think I forgot English <laughs> because I understand the words they're saying, but I don't understand them in the order. It was just baffling. I couldn't understand all the exposition scenes. Um, I had a hard time telling what was going on at any point because I didn't know why they were there or why they were doing a certain thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think once it comes out on Blu-ray, I'm definitely going to rent it and put subtitles on and rewatch it because I had no idea what Michael Caine was saying in his one scene, no idea what any of the other characters are saying in any other scenes. Um, but the action was fun. So it's, it's, um, I remember like, this has like been like the complaint for like his last few movies though. You it's know, like, he's just stopped pandemic. caring about like good sound quality at a certain point or something. Well, I mean, like when people complained about Bane and they couldn't understand what Bane was saying, mm-hmm. and he was basically just like, I delivered the movie I delivered. So um, there were aspects of it that definitely like certain actors, like I hated that for a while, I couldn't quite understand what Priya was saying. And it was a combination of like me getting used to her accent and also mm-hmm. the sound mix, but the movie kept moving and I was loving it. And it was, it was kind of like the character says at one point, don't try to understand it just feel it but i kept thinking like i don't not understand it i mean the only issue i have with it is certain mechanics of the movement of of action scenes and i'm kind of like i mean i get the concept you're going for i don't know if that would actually work that way physically but whatever i don't care um yeah, and then certain I, things one over like neil <laughs> neil's fun yeah i mean like yeah as a scientist trying to hear all their scientific explanations <laughs> of reverse. I, I was just sitting there. It's like, you know, sure, they reversed point, entropy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. As, a, as at some point as a scientist watching TV and movies, you just kind of have to turn that off. So drive yourselves crazy. Did you ever see a movie called Primer, Ali? Primer? I did not. It's actually a super complicated time yeah, travel. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. Okay. With, I have not seen it. With Shane Carruth, who unfortunately in 2020 revealed that he's a monster as well. But um, I was really rooting for Shane Carruth before all this. But the, the time travel rules are kind of the same in the sense that you, not, not totally, but like you have essentially an A and B point. And I like that in Tenet. You can't just go through a portal and suddenly it's yesterday. I kind of like that you have to live your way back mm-hmm. the same exact amount of time. Because my understanding is if, if we're ever going to get to those points, because primer, the whole thing is, is you start a machine at point A and it has to run to point B. And then when you enter it into point B, you have to live that same exact amount of time back to point A, which is, you know, them constantly on boats that they've repurposed into airlocks and things. And I, I found that fascinating. Um, I was fascinated by just the, the, cause they're not really spies. They're more like counter spies esque world where I love, um, um, What's the actor's name who was in Yesterday? Oh, um, Hamish Patel. I love that he doesn't give a shit about anything. Like, he takes all of it into stride. I, I, all of the, the, just like the sudden characters would just pop up and it's like, whatever. Here's fucking Ives. He's just in it, baby. Like, 
and like it just appears the, halfway through the movie, and you just roll a bit. Well, like the 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 woman who works for Ives, where he's just like explain to him how the oxygen tank works, and I was just she's just like, all right, here's the rules of the time travel, and I was like, holy shit, like cool. <laughs> to me, this movie just had a lot of the kind of bad habits. I feel like that Nolan has gotten into like compounded on top of each other. Like it just seemed like he was just rushing through all this exposition at the beginning of the movie. Like it's like almost like he didn't even care about the story he was telling or something. It's just like, gotta, gotta move, gotta move. Like, it's like, what are you interested in this movie? Because it doesn't seem like you're interested in the story. I mean, I think he just had these, like this time travel idea and these like set pieces in mind, like the building Mm -hmm. exploding in two ways and just had these set pieces. And he was just like, well, time to throw some exposition and plot around it Mm -hmm. and just call it a day. I mean, I saw comments online that was like, basically people calling this like the most nolan movie mm-hmm. right you get the best of nolan but you also get the worst well, there's definitely some of that i think this movie is going to be revisited in like 10 years and people are going to still acknowledge its faults but like appreciate it more i mean like little things like the building exploding in two different ways i'm like does that make sense i don't think that makes sense it looks but cool but it looks you, very cool yeah. yeah i mean my my ultimate take on this movie is that i think if you're to compare it to the prestige if you know like the prestige can be spoiled you can still enjoy it, but it's like you really shouldn't know certain things about that movie before you watch it. I don't think you can spoil Tenet because it wouldn't make any sense anyway. You know, like I don't yeah. think that you can't just be like, uh, this is the secret because there is, you know, like what would you tell someone if you're trying to spoil Reverse this movie? For yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, you're not going to spoil like Neil's timeline per se because it's. How could you even explain wow. that to somebody? You know? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, I've only seen the movie once and I feel like I need to, like you said, I need to watch this movie go backwards again. Um, I mean, my friends who have seen it twice have told me that it's a little more comprehensible and enjoyable the second time around. Oh, I should say. Um, yeah. So the, the version I watched, uh, I'm not sure exactly where it came from, fell off the back of the truck, uh, but there were subtitles <laughs> in it, which I had to turn on because I could not tell what they're saying half the time. So I had to turn on the subtitles. Like, no, I was in theaters. It was just after the election. So, you know, at first I chalked it up to, I'm just stressed about the election. But afterwards I was like, no, I actually can't understand. Like, I just don't know English anymore, apparently, because I can't hear anything anyone is saying. So they're definitely doing that thing, or I don't even know what the status of theaters is now, where they were like, for 99 bucks, you and your friends going to have a whole movie theater yourself. And I have seriously considered like more than a few times, like, what if that's just how I saw Tenet? What if this was just a hundred dollar movie for me? I mean, I, I just called ahead until I found <laughs> no one else had buy tickets and I just went. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I was so fucking thrilled to find a copy that fell off the back of a truck and I enjoyed it. And it was, I don't know. I, I like that. There's an emotional core. I absolutely get the complaints that people will have about the Elizabeth Debicki character, but I also kind of enjoyed her storyline too. I love that the emotional core is not just that she's a mother protecting her child, but the, the heart of it, she's just like, for one second, Sador saw in my eyes that I was considering his deal, and I have to kill him for that. I, I kind of loved her for that. Um, I think I missed a lot of the characterizations. I just couldn't hear anything anyone was saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it, it's 100% got some flaws, but I, I think people are going to appreciate this movie a little bit more in the future. I hope. I don't know. What a weird movie to come out during a pandemic i i am sure that uh they're obviously very disappointed in the box office and whatnot i don't know that this movie would have done that great in general i personally don't think this would have been like the next massive 
blockbuster success for Nolan. I I, I think it, it would have done better for sure if people are going to the movies, but I don't think it would have been that big of a hit. What gets me is that isn't like Dunkirk still like his biggest hit? Oh no, it's it's gotta be it's that. the Dark Knight, I'm sure. Uh, Dunkirk was a huge hit for him. Like Dark Knight was like a billion dollars, so. But I think Dunkirk did pretty well because they really hit the four quadrant of also getting old people into that theater. Um, but yeah, I, I I know that this comes out in like home video release in like a week or two. I'm very curious. I mean, I'm honestly probably going to get it and watch it again because I mean, my roommate and I both saw it and you know randomly while we're walking around the house we'll look up at each other and go hey so how did that car work that if he was inverted how did that car become inverted when he came out of the, and then we'll just like ask each other like well Sign. they they warn you that like if the car catches on fire it'll turn to ice but you're like okay well how does the basic engine work <laughs> exactly. whatever whatever yeah it's just like i just can't think too hard about the science or else i'll drive myself crazy yeah yeah um, but just I don't know, just the weird James Bond as a uh, buddy cop movie fascinated me. Um, the fact that the entire like plot comes from the Sator squares, if you've seen those, mm-hmm. um, like like all of the like a lot of the key details, like Arepo and Opera, are all on that. It fascinates me. It's like such a weird detail. Um, Real time follow up: The Dark Knight Rises is actually Nolan's uh, most successful movie. Mm. Okay. Slightly edging out The Dark Knight. Um. So, but I was kind of ambivalent about Robert Pattinson as Batman, but after seeing Tenet, I'm like, hmm, okay, that part's um, a little dramatic. Yeah, he's a weird actor in general, but so I'm I'm curious to see what he'll bring to as I don't, like Bruce I Wayne. He's definitely the best character in that movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Also, but also, I really like John David Washington. I mean, there is no character; he has no name. He's literally, the protagonist. Yeah. But he is such a fun, weird presence because he's not, he's also for an action star, he's not big. And I kind of found that fascinating. Like he has this kind of panther walk that he does through each scene. I thought he looked good in the one scene. And then Michael Caine is just like, by the way, you're going to be meeting billionaires. Maybe, maybe level up your suits. Here's my black card. I was like, holy shit. It's such a weird thing. Just when he asked the box up the fish and chips at this fancy restaurant. It's like we don't do that here. <laughs> but it's like the movie is just so clearly not gonna spend a ton of time on like getting to know his character other than like you're the protagonist. That's literally your name. Well, you know? and I feel like it kind of fits into the fact that like there's a whole apparently, you know, decades of plot that this character has to look forward to that fit back into the foundation of this movie. Because again, what the fuck is Neil's timeline even? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, in the, the, the in media ray opening, I honestly thought from the trailer that the opera stuff would be like, like part of like the third act. I, nope. I, yeah, I did too. <laughs> nope. Yeah, I thought they'd uh, be like, I thought they would revisit that, but they didn't. Yeah. And, and stuff kept tying back in. Like, you know, there, I mean, the ending technically plays, takes place at the same time mm. as the opera. Um, I mean, it really is like folding back in on itself and just how Sator knows enough to say later, we live in a twilight world. I don't know. I Yeah, I'm going to have to rewatch it with subtitles because I have no idea why <laughs> they were at any of those places doing any of the things. Um, I just couldn't hear anything. Um, but I mean, it was still fun. I'm intrigued. And I guess I'm at the point now where I don't know the things that I'm confused about are plot holes or they're just things that I completely missed in my first time around watching so yeah 
I, I think it, a lot of the plot stuff, I think, more falls into just like physics holes, probably. <laughs> you know, just like certain things I, I had to accept. Because like my second watch I got when Ives is doing the briefing. And then you, like, as he's briefing, like you see the, the blue team landing. It took me like the second watch to be like, oh, they've just done the ending of the movie. Like that's why they're being briefed about this and they have to stay in the containers. It's because these the red team can't know who died or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean the scene where Kat gets shot, where like they're, you know, going through the, that just completely fucked with my mind. I was just like, I do not know what is happening. Di- and, oh, dialogue yeah. they're going in opposite. Yeah, directions. I was yeah. like, well, it's it's kind of crazy to me that at least for me, the weird, trippy time travel scenes like that made more sense than the exposition scenes where people are just talking at each other. Mm-hmm. But little things too, like I think when Pattinson goes down the hallway at the Freeport, you know it's either him or John David Washington, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. other guard. Like you're just like waiting for it. I I don't know. Like this is, I've been really frustrated with Kenneth Branagh because of uh, his Perot movies. Like as an entity and and some of his stuff in his career in the past, I kind of liked him as the villain. Like he's but he's a, a ham. Villain. He's he's such a ham. But he, that, yeah. But the movie is unambivalent about like he probably has a complicated story, but he is the villain. And I still appreciate it though when when John David Washington saves his life and he's like, oh, it's nothing, and and he's just like, my life is not nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, I suppose we should talk about trouble a little bit since we just talked about the prestige. Uh, oh man, I had to hold myself back from mentioning trouble so, during that discussion. Again, spoiler alert. Obviously, if you made it this far, we're talking about the big secret reveal in trouble that there are twins in trouble too. Um, yeah, there are twins in trouble one. In trouble one. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, uh, a big inspiration the prestige was for the trouble books. Um, I think we really wanted to get to a point where you knew there were twins and we could show how they're doing it. I, I think that was like something we were really excited to uh, explore. So all the, like, I, I, Mark, you mentioned the, uh, the cutting the fingers off, you know, obviously stuff like that, like Jenny having to give herself black eyes and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I know you, James. Mm-hmm. I know, I know what you respond to. <laughs> I would argue too, that rewatching the prestige will probably have an influence on trouble three. Maybe. We'll see. I know what I mean, element I, I appreciate the most from from Prestige that I'm thinking about hmm. Trouble 3. So, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm sure a lot of people would, would ask the question, so who of Freddie and Albert, which is Trouble and which is Danger? Um, I mean, it's pretty obvious, Oh, I would right? say structurally, I think that Jenny is Albert and Eliza is Frederick, but like character wise, it's the other way around, I think. Yeah, I would say character wise, it's definitely the other way around. Um, yeah, and then in reading the book, um, I definitely, and we've talked mm-hmm. about this before, but I definitely identified with Eliza much more um, to the point where when I was beta reading, <laughs> I think I had just comment after comment about like, why is Jay treating Eliza like trash? I hate her so much. Yeah. Like, treat her better. Um, it's just like she needs to be taking better care of her sister. I was like, is she, I'm like, is she feeding her? And just like, just like going in all on that. They're sharing each other's food. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> one of the original scenes. She throws Eliza like a cliff bar or something, and I just remember your note was just like, oh come on. I mean, to a certain degree, it's almost like she's the Angier too. 
because there are moments where she seems mm. quite villainous. Quite obsessed, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I probably softened that a little from the uh, the first draft you read, Ali. I hope she comes off a, a little bit less mercenary, Jenny does, in the, the final draft there. Um, but... I mean, I realize that like that's her character mm-hmm. and it does really like, you know, a lot of the stuff happens in the book because she's that way and it makes it interesting. Um, you know, it'd be a pretty boring book if everyone was exactly the same as Eliza, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you need variety in characters. And even though I would never be friends with Jenny probably <laughs> in real life, she is a fun protagonist to follow and read about. It does seem like Who would people... you be friends with? Sorry, good. So who would you be friends with in this world? Uh... I want, I would want to say Eliza. Okay. Um, we could talk about Harry Potter. Uh, I mean, when, when Jenny revealed she like never read Harry Potter, I was like, Oh, okay. Well, that's clearly the last, last straw. Um, (laughs) yeah, Jenny's doesn't really participate a ton in like culture. She seemingly is like, she knows about the trouble books and that's it. Yeah. Although I always, I don't know. I, I don't know if anyone else appreciates it except for me, but I like having just occasional mentions of like what aunt Shelley is watching. Um, like, I think I made like an oblique reference to them watching that. Uh, how was the name of that? That movie it was all George Michael songs. Um, last Christmas. Oh, uh, was that? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. though the one where, uh, the guy's a ghost the whole time. Spoiler. Um, yeah. Just anytime like Shelley's watching something and Jenny, it's like, I figured they're, they hang out a lot, obviously, because, you know, it's like single mother daughter situation. But um, it's like I think the, she mentions that she, she got a crush on uh, the D- Sally from Mad Men. So um, that was kind of how she realized that she liked girls there. And so Jenny's always kind of watching stuff that, that Aunt Shelley's watching, even though she's not like into the same kind of stuff Eliza is at all. You know, like Harry Potter, other books, other music, that kind of thing. Hmm. Um, but yeah uh, it's been nice to see that people seem to enjoy the Eliza character I wasn't totally sure if people are going to be like oh I don't want this I'm I'm here for trouble not for danger you know but it seems like people have enjoyed her so that's good to see and I think she's a good contrast and a good foil to Jenny kind of tempers down her uh, Jenny's more crazy ideas at times (laughs) well and and it's the thing that you think watching the prestige is like, what is this world like between these two? Um, how, what is the stresses? I mean, they have slightly different tastes in romantic partners um, and, and will, but uh, you're definitely seeing a little bit of that stress in particular. Well, and also like the ethics of it, you know, I think. Uh, yeah. I think I have a note when I was beta reading something, I think I said this and we were talking about the prestige earlier, but like, what is their exit strategy? Mm-hmm. How do you, like, I think there was this, they're talking, I think Eliza actually says like, uh, so how are we doing college? Right. Like how are we going to figure out this whole college situation? And it's like, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and like, obviously I don't know anything about the future books, but you know, it sounds like the next book they're going to Europe, which <laughs> I don't know exactly how you're going to have both of them go or if one has to stay behind or whatnot. Um, Very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is, it Probably is. And Shelly knows though, now. So it is a good point though, because um, it's not just that it's uncomfortable for Eliza to, you know, be with Dinah. That is a violation of Dinah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. It's, it's, it's Buffy and Faith, uh, you know, and Riley. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's not like even, it's not like, at least in the prestige, it's, it's like, you know, Albert and Freddie are like sharing somewhat balanced, I mean, mm-hmm. balanced half lives. But in this one, they're both living Jenny's life. Right. Yeah. So it's inherently unfair for Eliza because, you know, everyone sees her as Jenny and no one sees her as who she really is. Except maybe Charlie. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with Charlie. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Any uh, any trouble stuff we want to talk about before we close out the pod here? Um, I mean, at at this point, I I think I've told you my thoughts <laughs> about who I think the stranger is. Who? Uh, um, just solely on, you know, process of elimination and the fact that I know that one of your murder mystery rules is, uh, always has to be like in the first book or first couple of scenes or whatnot. I don't know. I have it as Webb, the lawyer for like no other reason as he's just kind of always around in weird times. And that's my only justification for that. And I'll see, I guess, in the future if I'm right or wrong. James, if I may, mildly interesting, mildly interesting. But he does see the movie. Snaps his fingers and a card appears. <laughs> he's just always around, and I don't know. He's just like, "What are? What is your purpose? You're just kind of here." Um, I think people but, like to think it's Web. Mildly interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Man, like for the for the second book, the um, reveal of I guess the main plot villain Campbell mm-hmm. at the end. I think I or again wrote this and I explain this in my comments where I had an inkling in the back of my mind that was her like something just felt off about her but then I was like oh I'm just being like you know overly analytical and I'm just like looking for villains that aren't there and whatnot and so when the reveal came that was really satisfying because I was like ah I knew it but I was still caught off guard because I kind of pushed that theory away so that was fun to read nice Campbell's interesting because in retrospect, who else could it be? You spend so yeah, much time with her. There's so yeah. much of her. And yeah, and so I'm like always trying in those scenes to like, let's make this about an emotional moment that she's having and like how Eliza's relating to it. Like almost all of her scenes are with Eliza except for one she has with Jenny. So it's kind of uh, the the mistake Jenny made of uh, delegating a little bit too much. Like she really should have been the one to meet with Campbell. She might have like picked up on the lies more than Eliza did. But yeah, really enjoyable to read. Can't wait for the next one. Yeah, well, we're working on it right now, just in the in the brainstorming stage. But uh, I think it'll be fun. Um, no, no, no COVID nineteen in the trouble. Yeah, COVID nineteen does not exist in the, the trouble universe. There. Quick throwaway line about how a vaccine's going to come out, and they're all good. I like for a while. I was like, I could just put in a quick line about like maybe her grandparents got delayed from coming home because of a quarantine or something. And then it's like, I could make the decision later about whether or not COVID existed, but it's like, you know what? Nobody wants to read about COVID. Like nobody wants to read about how they had to like quarantine for two weeks before they could go on this vacation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for joining us. I, uh, yeah. Hope to, thanks for having me. I hope it won't take too long before I have another draft to send your way of, uh, three there. And uh, yeah, oh, oh, we should we talk about our, our new contest we're gonna do? We should, yeah. If you listen this long, obviously, you've uh, 
read or don't care about the trouble. Um, so we're going to do another contest like the one we did before. Uh, this time, I think what it'll be is um, just leave a review on like Amazon or Goodreads for the book. Um, doesn't have to be five stars, you know, leave an honest review and just like screenshot it. And like, I guess just like, I don't know, tweet it, tweet it at us or email us or DM us. Like, let us know in some way or other that you've posted a review and you'll be entered into the drawing same as before and we'll we'll pick a few more names yeah don't it's not let's not fuck around with hashtags this time like uh send it to us in some fashion um yeah because instagram's hashtag thing is weird it's like hard to to follow their their hashtag so probably better and and thank you to the people who did send their private instagram Mm -hmm. things to us eventually because we had no idea about that um, but yeah, so that yeah. we'll do that. I think let's say let's like run that through like at least mid January. So that if someone's like reading it for Christmas or not, whatnot, they've got plenty of time to read it. And then uh, might as well just say the end, end of January. January. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, you got plenty of time to read the book. And uh, I think it's a fairly quick read. It's longer than the book one, but I think it still moves pretty quickly. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Allie. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Again, thanks for having me. All right. And we'll be back uh, sometime soon with uh, Courtney, another contest winner. I'm not sure exactly when, but it's coming soon. That'll be on a on a, on a Bros Watch PLO too. if you've ever heard of that podcast, people. Cool. Cool. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.